Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim from Black Free Thinkers. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, I will say we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And it's been a hell of a week. You know, it's been more than a hell of a week, but this past week has been overwhelming. This past week has been disheartening. This past week has been revealing. You know, there are a number of different things I can say or adjectives that I could use in regards to what we as a nation has been de- have been dealing with over the past week. And, you know, I created a show for today, Dear White Allies. You know, I put it all together Wednesday morning, didn't really think anything about it, got off of social media pretty early Wednesday evening, you know, and didn't see and hadn't heard anything about South Carolina because I don't watch traditional television. You know, I have a cable box. I just haven't hooked it up yet. But, you know, I try to stay away from television. I don't watch a lot of it. And, you know, now I'm glad I have the cable box because then I'll be able to kind of keep up with some of the world news um, as it happens. I mean, I read a lot of newspapers and periodicals and what have you online, but there are some things that when it happens live, you know, we kind of need to know what's happening because there's so much going on in the United States and it's happening in your backyard, it's happening in my backyard, it's happening all across this country and abroad. You know, I can't even, you know, I have to add on, you know, to what's happening abroad and There's a lot of apartheid happening in foreign countries, but as well as in this country. However, they don't necessarily want to call it apartheid when referring to the United States, but we'll, you know, get into that a little bit later. However, it's imperative that we keep up with current events and understand how events that transpire in other countries have a direct impact on us is no longer an indirect impact because we have the global economy, we have the global communities, you know, um, and the United States is supposed to be this melting pot, which it is. You know, we have people from all over the world living in this country, and that's a wonderful thing. want to encourage that because, you know, it, it makes us better. You know, I challenge you guys to go out and to you know, have a conversation with, have a meal with somebody, you know, of another of another culture, 
you know, a culture that you may not be familiar with. So, I mean, I think that's important. And you'll find that, you know, they are excited about telling you about themselves and their culture. You know, it's just as important for you all to understand that, you know, broaden your horizons because, honey, we need each other, especially in today's times. And, you know, again, when I created this um, show for today, the massacre in Charleston had not happened yet. You know, I woke up to that Thursday morning, and I was getting tweets and, you know, text messages, and it's like, what the hell is happening? And so, you know, I was reading the text messages, and I signed online, but I avoided social media because it was just too much. I couldn't take it. You know, and I was just reading the different articles out there about what had transpired in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was moved. It was absolutely overwhelming, overwhelming, because, you know, at this point in time, my question is, how much? And I know some people are saying, how much what? How much more are we expected to take? How much more are we, you know, you know, expected to endure? And what's happening in this country is absolutely outrageous. We should be out in the street, period. We should be out here protesting in mass. Absolutely. Look at what's happening. Look at what's happening. Look at all the people that have been killed in the United States, particularly people of color. You know, and I know I'm, I'm part of the black community. That is what I know. That is what I grew up with. That is, you know, what I identify with. And seeing our, you know, young girls, young boys, men and women just shot out, just shot down in the street like they're, you know, some type of stray dog. No, absolutely not. It's unacceptable. I mean, you know, there was this meme going around. And it was talking about our resident white domestic terrorist assassin and how he got a bulletproof vest. Eric Gardner, he got a chokehold. Michael Brown, she got a bullet through his head. You know, Rakia Boy, she got a bullet. And, you know, there are many, many, many more examples there. And what is it going to take for us to wake up? And when I say us, I'm talking about us as a nation because this affects, you know, black people, Latino people, Asian people, white people, everybody. And, you know, it's indigenous people. What's happening on the native reservations is absolutely breathtaking and not in a good way. You know, what they have been enduring and they just had to go through Congress, and now if someone comes on, you know, native land on one of the reservations and commits a crime, now that person can be held accountable in a native, you know, tribunal, a native um, court. It used to not be that way, but they finally got the legislation. It was, you know, they were going to pass it and give the native people, you know, more autonomy you know, over their land and their laws. However, you know, we need each other, and we're going to have to come together to deal with these issues. And it's absolutely amazing, you know, what I saw on social media when I decided to go on there. And I went on about 3, 4 o'clock, 
and was just watching my news feed and reading more stories and just kind of watching people's reactions to, you know, that the massacre, you know. And so, I mean, you know, it's interesting because, you know, last week we talked about, you know, Rachel Dolezal and a little bit about Caitlyn Jenner and a number of issues surrounding that. So if you read the description for today's show, you know, talks a little bit about Rachel and, you know, the erasure of black women and girls, you know, from history, from, you know, from just the equation generally. And, you know, we're definitely going to expand that because I want to talk about the massacre in Charleston as well and kind of give you all a little insight as to what's happening here. Um, You know, I was talking to, you know, a white ally this past weekend, and we were talking about, you know, what has transpired in this country. And, you know, they're just as many of them are just as perplexed as to what the hell is happening because it's coming at us hard and fast. It's coming at us hard and fast. And it's kind of hard to catch your breath. It's kind of hard to stay on your feet because once you deal with one tragic episode, here comes another two or three tragic episodes. When do we get a chance to breathe? When do we get a chance to excel? And it seems as though that's not going to be happening anytime soon. And looking at what's happening to communities in color, particularly the black community, you know, um, I put up a few articles. And it was talking about racial battle, you know, fatigue or just general malaise, general fatigue about what's happening to us because it's just coming boom, 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 boom. And many of us, you know, still haven't had a chance to breathe, to kind of get our, you know, our our sense of stability just or or even a chance to kind of comprehend what's happening or reconciling some of, you know, the facts that are coming our way. And it's just one after the other, one after the other, boom, you know, you try to recover and then they hit you again before you get a chance to get your your balance back. And basically, this is how I feel. I feel like we're being backed into a corner. Well, not being, we've been backed into a corner. And, you know, we always talk about fight or flight. There's nowhere to run. Absolutely nowhere to run. And we're going to be forced to fight. And that's what it's looking like to me. And, you know, there are many ways that we can fight, you know, the system and fight what's happening to us. But we have to learn, (laughs) you know, different, you know, mechanisms in which how we could defend ourselves. And I've been saying this over the past four years, especially over the past couple of years, we need to learn active and passive resistance techniques and models. In addition to that, we all know that, you know, I definitely advocate for the right to bear arms. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm a gun person. And I would strongly advise everybody, anybody, go out and learn how to shoot a weapon. 
so that you can protect yourself and defend your property, go out and learn some self-defense um, techniques, you know, whether it's martial arts, you know, hell, wrestling, whatever. You need to know how to defend yourself. And it's important because look at what's happening. We're not, we, we don't have a choice. And so when I was talking to my, to one of my white allies about the situation and I was talking about, you know, self-defense, learning how to, to defend yourself in any situation. And when you're in certain situations, you know, you may not need, you know, a gun. You may not need, you know, um, a bow and arrow or, you know, um, uh, you may not need to have to physically fight, you know, knowing your history, knowing what's happening and understanding what's happening. That's a weapon, too. And that's something that I've stated since the very beginning of this show. History is a weapon. Understanding what's happening around you and why and the events that precipitated it. You know, it's important for you all to understand because there is nothing new. What's happening right now is not new. And we've been talking about these things over the past several years. And basically, what's happening now, you know, it's a number of things. So I'm not claiming to know all of the reasons why. And, you know, this show is not long enough for me to go through the laundry list of, you know, everything that's happening. This is why we encourage you guys to go out and do research on your own, to pay attention to what's happening around you. And unfortunately, there are too many people in this community who are only interested in these events when it happens to them or somebody that they know or care about. And to be honest with you, I think that's a load of bullshit. You have to care about these things even when it's not affecting, you know, people that you love and care about. I mean, you know, what's happening with all of these young people, just like I said, you know, they're living, you know, in a state of arrested development. That is the only way I can explain this, you know, coming from my mom. And, you know, they're not being given economic opportunities. They're not being given educational opportunities. Uh, and when I say economic opportunities, I'm talking about loans for small businesses, you know, grants for small businesses. When I had Dr. Jeff Perry on the show, he was talking about how when immigrants come to this country, they have access to monies that allow them to start businesses. But those same monies, you know, are not available to, you know, black Americans. So you all need to start asking why. And in addition to asking why, we need to start making demands. And unfortunately, you know, the time that President Obama has been in office, you know, we weren't ready. We didn't put forth an agenda. We didn't put forth any real demands on him. And, you know, it was kind of a lost opportunity. And while some of the programs that he put in place will disproportionately, you know, um, benefit people of color, more could have been done. Absolutely more could have been done. And so it's interesting because there are a lot of people of color, namely black people, who are just tired. And now they're asking why they should vote for Hillary Clinton and why they should vote at all. Look at what's happening around you. You sure you want Ted Cruz in the White House? 
you sure you want Donald Trump in the White House? You need to look at this, and you need to pay attention. It's imperative that you do this. And I just have so much more to talk about. And, you know, when I was putting together the notes for today's show, you know, it was just too much. I had to walk away a few times because, you know, I know that there are many of us out here that, you know, we're grieving for the people, you know, you know, the people that lost their lives in Charleston, you know, I can only imagine, I, you know, I can't even imagine, don't make me lie, you know, um, their families, their friends, the community, you know, some of them were community activists. And, you know, the church that was targeted, go back and read up on the history of that church. You need to know who Denmark Vesey is. You need to know what role that specific church played in the civil rights movement. And, and again, you know, the, the phase, when I say civil rights, that starts that started all the way back when the first slave tried to escape. You understand? And, you know, people think that the civil rights movement was only in the 50s and 60s. No. It goes back much further. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois is considered the grandfather of, you know, the civil rights movement. And what's ironic about that is when they had the March on Washington, the the very first day that evening, that is when W.E.B. Du Bois, he passed away. But he was able to see his vision come to fruition. You know, go out, learn your history. And because... You know, that's, you're going to need to know it. And what's unfortunate about this, and you've heard me say this on several occasions, white people in this country don't even know their history. And they're caught up in it, and that's where some of the confusion is coming from. Not excusing them at all. You know, so I don't want any inboxes or emails. Why are you, I'm not excusing anything. You know, but what I, what I am doing is calling to the carpet, you know, the ignorance across the board, but particularly with, you know, white people. And that includes some of our white allies, you know, because too many of you white allies, too many of you are burying your head in the sand like you're an ostrich, you know, ignoring what's happening, being silent on what's happening. (laughs) You know, it's over. You can't be silent on this. You have to speak up. The only way we are going to dismantle and deconstruct or destroy racism and white supremacy, it has to happen through white people. You have to do it. Not us. You're the ones that are going to have to pull that system down. And what I find most, you know, ironic is, You know, Hillary Clinton, you know, made some comments, and they were very straightforward, which, you know, kind of surprised me, (laughs) but, you know, they were, and, you know, again, I have so much to say and so much to talk about. You know, this may go a little bit longer today, hell, today may be part one. That's how I'm feeling about this, because we need to talk about it. Too many of you white allies, too many of you are silent. Too many of you are, you know, coming over to these communities of color and you're trying to say nonviolence, and that's how the civil rights movement worked. They were nonviolent. That's not true. 
That is not true, which is why, you know, we talk about the history. I post a lot of stuff on my wall, and I know, I've, you know, I've gotten some feedback from people. Why are you posting that on your wall? And I'm like, because you need to know. You need to understand. When we had the Civil Rights Movement, and I'm talking specifically with, you know, Martin Luther King, A. Philip Randolph, Bayard Rustin, and that crew, you know, I can't forget Ella Baker, Diane Nash, you know, because I have to make sure that you all understand that women, if it was not for the women, civil rights movement would not have happened. If it was not for women, this Black Lives Matter movement would not happen, would not be happening. You know, again, I'm going to say the names again, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tonetti. Those are three queer women of color that started the Black Lives Matter movement. Learn those names. Give honor where it's due. Give credit where it's due. Because there are too many times in which women are factored out of these situations. You know, um, Ella Baker and Bayard Rustin, you know, they had a big old clash because Ella Baker wanted black women to be portrayed and play a more prominent role in the March on Washington. And Bayard Rustin, you know, of course, you know, there were some words. They went back and forth. But look at what's happening now with the Black Lives Matter movement. You have black men that are putting themselves, propelling themselves to the front and trying to overshadow the black women that have put this together. And we need for you all to pay attention. Like I said, get to know those names, Alicia Garza, Opal Tonetti, and Patrice Cullors. Articles are all over the place. Get to know it. It's important. It's important that you know who's behind, you know, all of these things. And this is going out to not only the white allies, this is going out to the black community, the Latino community, the Asian community, the, you know, native community, you know, E, all of the above, everybody. This is going out to you because you need to know what's happening. And especially when it comes to the erasure of black women or just the erasure of women in general, because Latinos and, you know, the Asians and the native people, they have some of the same problems. And so do some of the white women. I mean, look at what's happening in the secular community. You know, they're doing everything possible to silence, you know, the white women, you know, in this community is interesting but you know i'm not here to talk about that yet you know we will get to that um we got Raina here with us today hey Raina. hey what's going on <sighs> girl <laughs> everything everything i know, under I, know. The... <laughs> you ain't even tell me. I know right <laughs> you know and you know i'm just sitting here and, you know, looking at my news feed and whether people realize it or not, there are times when I will come to your page and just go through, you know, the, the you know for the past week, different things that you've posted, especially if you, you say something that caught my attention, then I want to know what context that's in and see what you've been posting. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you have a lot of white pundits out here. And they're talking about what the black community needs to do to stop this violence. You know, they said President Obama needs to stop calling white people racist. If he stops calling white people racist, then all of these attacks would stop happening. That's not well, true. I, I, my problem is, 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 my problem is the logic there, right? Right. Like, where did, where, where do people think the problem 
with race is calling people racist and actually not being racist. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, right. That's, the, that's the problem I have. You know? Yeah, exactly. You have them out there that say, as long as we talk about race, we'll have these problems. If we stop talking about race, it'll go away. Now, that's a damn lie. You know, you know it and I know it. And, you know, there are a number of excuses. And, you know, I've posted some great articles on my wall the other night. You know, I was up posting until like 5 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. So I was like, well, I may as well share some of what I had been reading with you all. Um, I still have a shitload of links that I haven't posted. And eh, more than likely, I probably won't at this point in time because, you know, you're being inundated with information, which is great because you get to factor out, you know, some things. But, again, I want you guys to go out and do some research for yourself. Listen, ask questions. Question everything. And if people get upset and angry because you're questioning things, then you're on the right track. You understand? Question everything. There's no such thing as a dumb question. I don't believe that. Yes, there, wait, so. wait. Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are. There are dumb questions. And there are caveats to everything she just said. Yes, there are dumb questions. And sometimes you are also on the wrong track. Sorry. Yeah, but, the the no, wrong I mean, questions. The wrong questions are questions like things like, "Well, what about black on black crime?" No. Well, okay, Mm-mm. you're right. Exactly. But I mean, I, the reason why I don't necessarily consider any question a dumb question because, like you just said, with the black on black crime, you know, you have a lot of white people and even some white allies that will come back with that, you know, that um, that trope there, right? And the reason why it's a dumb question is because we have a lot of people who only watch Fox News. Now, we've been encouraging you guys, you know, just totally block that channel. Well, it's, that's, why, but that's what makes it a dumb question to me, because you are not informed enough. To even to even you know go out there and 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 want to uh, or you're not or you're not informing yourself. So it, it's like when you don't inform yourself, you do ask dumb questions. Right, That's but see I the think. thing is, but see the thing is the way that I see it is when you go out to some of these really you know country towns, rural areas, you know, in many parts of this country they still do not have the internet. They still do not have access to cable. <laughs> but Tim, that's not the majority of these people that we're talking about. Oh, no, 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 no. Come no, but, no but, but what I'm saying, now I understand it's not the majority of people, but what I'm saying is, you know, let's say someone who was in XYZ little, you know, small little podunk town that doesn't, you know, really have any cable and the only thing that really comes through out there is Fox News because, trust me, everything that Fox News is doing is strategic. And, unfortunately, in a lot of those little podunk towns, that's all they have, really. And they ask well, us the I, question. I realize that and I recognize that, Kim. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who are already on the Internet yeah. who are listening to this yeah, show. Exactly. And, who are who are who are responding to our posts and our blogs and things with these ignorant ass questions when they're already on the internet? That's who I'm talking about. Right. Okay, you're talking okay. to those people. I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about people with resources. Now, don't get me wrong. I still I still think there are ignorant questions even for those others 
that are that are doing that. But I do I do I obviously I don't hold them as accountable as the people who sit on Twitter or Facebook or listen to the show and call in with dumbass questions. Sorry, your shit's dumb. I'm not answering that shit. You know, spend some time right. spend some time reading. And then come mm-hmm. and ask an intelligent question. Exactly, exactly. But no, that was just my way of letting people, some of the people know who don't have access. Because, you know, some of the feedback that I've gotten from um, white people in general was, well, I didn't know about that. Or I had no idea. Why don't they teach this in school? Because one of the things that we encourage on this show is for you to fact check us. Fact check it. You know, I stand strong on, you know, what I put out there. And when I'm wrong, I admit that I'm wrong, I correct it, and we move on. And so it's just, like I said, it's been a hell of a two weeks. But, you know, looking at some responses from people in general, you know, and particularly in this community, which, you know, there have been a couple of responses that absolutely baffled me. So needless to say, I unfriended a few people this week. I'm like, you know what, I don't even feel like, you know, you know, confronting the ignorance. And it's just been interesting. But, you know, you have people out here that are saying what, you know, black people should do. But, you know, there are things that we don't have to do, especially in light of, you know, what's happening to us in this country, being gunned down in the streets, being massacred, and, and, and also what I want people to know and understand, what happened at the Charleston Massacre, this is not new. There is a long history in this country of black churches being attacked. And we we encourage you to go out and read about that. You know, I probably pulled some links today or what have you, but... You know, this is a long history. I mean, remember it was last year or the year before. It was, I think it was last year when they bombed the NAACP up in Colorado. That's not new either. And so, you know, what's unfortunate about all of this is that, you know, between talking about Rachel and Caitlin, you know, a lot of things have passed us by. And, you know, we're going to get more to the massacre, but to be honest with you, the story of the week, the one that we really seriously need to pay attention to, and we need to pay attention to them all. I'm not diminishing anything. But you all need to pay attention to what's happening over in the Dominican Republic and Israel. Apartheid. That is what's happening. Apartheid. In Israel, they are expelling, you know, the African refugees. They're all, you know, and I'm going to do some more research, but, you know, from my understanding, you know, there have been some issues with some of the Africans that have been proven to be Jewish, you know, and that goes back to mitochondrial DNA. You know, there's a way for well, them to Well, it doesn't matter because there's a lot of Eritrean, there's a lot of refugees, Eritrean refugees and and people who have fled their homes for uh, for reasons right. of, of safety who've lived in, in Israel for, for decades. You know? Exactly. Um some exactly. some living have lived lived there longer than the um than the Israelis with full citizenship. You know, but exactly. there is a there is a a strong white supremacist um you know belief in, in Israel about who can call themselves 
in an Israeli, a real Israeli. Exactly. And um, there's it's, been attacks on 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 people of color in Israel. Um, you know, people people who are Jewish who um, try to um, fight against the discrimination. Um, you know, women are often accused of wanting to sleep with. Um, wanting to sleep with the African, uh, you know, refugees or what have you. Um, there's called race traders, some of them. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, and the detention centers, I mean, they have a very large detention center um, for these uh, refugees and, um, you know, quote-unquote illegals. Um, right there in Israel, and um, you know the centers we have them in are um, a lot of them don't have adequate, you know, healthcare, food. Um, some of them don't even have, you know, air conditioning. I think actually a lot of them don't actually have air conditioning. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of issues. I mean, um, one there's one reporter, a Jewish uh, journalist um, that I follow on Twitter who routinely posts information about um, the status of, um, of people of color in Israel. Um, and let me see if I can find his name really quickly. Uh, his name is David Sheehan. And um, he, he has, you know, uh, he posts regularly interviews. Um, you know, uh, he sometimes even puts up video of, of, um, Jew, uh, of, of, Israelis talking about um, talking about you know their feelings about you know even Obama and some of them have you know said very racist things about him um, you know and have negative feelings towards him because he um, espouses uh, or at least publicly espouses a view that is um, that you know basically treats the Palestinians as though they're their people, even though we did not intervene at all um, in, right. in in what was going on last summer. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it's it's one of those things. And um, another great person to to read is uh, Noam Chomsky. He writes a lot about what goes on um, in, between Israel and Palestine, and he talks about how um, you know there's a a, a cyclical um, Kind of culling of the of Palestinians, and he, I think he said that it even gets referred to as cutting the grass. You know, right? Um, you know, the whole this this notion that they have to keep the Palestinians under thumb. I mean, it's you know, people are under this assumption that the Palestinians are engaged in um, terrorism against Israel, and Israel is doing all of this to protect itself. But um, you know, Israel has is violating the human and civil rights of, the, of Palestinians, not just Palestinians who live within what is referred to as Palestine, but Palestinians who live in Israel. You know, so um, uh-huh. it's, it's it's not um it's not a good situation for you know people of color, people who are not um, deemed Jewish within Israel. So you have to exactly. um, you know, and then of course there are Christians in Israel and. You know, all different kinds of groups, you know, and they're all treated differently. I think there was even something that David Sheehan had posted about Asians who live within Israel, you know. So um, although they're not treated as harshly as the Africans, but um, there's even a lot of discussion 
or um, propaganda out there about um, not racially mixing with right. other people, you know. So, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And there was even a, something that he posted last year. It was a picture of a billboard in in Israel, and he had it juxtaposed against something from Nazi Germany. And the wording right. was, was eerily similar. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really, really strange. I mean, it's really strange that, you know, um, after the, what I consider a very successful campaign, campaign in PR that's been done, you know, by people of Jewish, you know, who identify as Jewish, right, about never forgetting the Holocaust and never forgetting, um, you know, the the repression and the violation of human and civil rights that, you know, that people suffered under the Nazi party. That the, that the governing, or not the governing, but the governing parties, um, yeah, the governing parties of Israel are acting in very much the same way. I mean, exactly. just without you know, just without the, maybe the mass, uh, you know, extermination campaign that was, you know, done in Germany. I mean, there, there, there are some things, there are acts of, of genocide that are going on within Israel, um, including, I think, um, there was, um, the, there were Force cases where women control. were given, yeah, birth control, right, that's what I was getting at, yeah, right, the, the case of the forced birth control and, and some other things, um, so, so yeah, so there's already, you know, genocide basically going on within Israel. It's just not on the same scale as what happened right. in Germany. But it's it's just as insidious. But it's just as insidious. I mean, exactly. um, there are, there are politicians there that call foreigner, you know, foreigners can't a cancer that needed to be cut out. And I think there exactly. was a, a, a riot that happened almost immediately after that where. You know, people were brutally beaten in the street. You know, people who were just trying to pass and get to their homes. You know, so I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we really um, have to talk about the, you know, what 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 is really going on here, which is the problem of global white supremacy, and this, this whole incident in Charleston should really, you know, bring, you know, make us talk about that because that kid wasn't just wearing con- con- Confederate flags. He was wearing the Rhodesian flag. Rhodesia has not existed for a long time. To wear that flag, right, and (laughs) to wear that flag, because Rhodesia is Zimbabwe now. So, you know, um, and and to wear the Rhodesian flag and to wear the white rule South African flag, there is something going on here. And this is, you know, he, he recognizes it. And, 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 and while he recognizes it and even wrote about it in his own manifesto, right? All right. We still have people who are arguing about whether or not this is motivated by race. And, and he made it clear that it was motivated by race. But let's not segue into that quite yet because I want to make sure that we, you know, we address what's happening in the Dominican Republic as well. And, you know, the anti-blackness, you know, the fear of blackness that's happening over there. And it goes all the way back to their Spanish, you know, colonizers. And so you all need to know the history of what's happening over, you know, with the Dominican government and how they're expelling, you know, black Dominicans or, or anybody of Haitian descent or Haitians. And, you know, they are busing them in mass to the border. 
and for some of these, they have some of these people. They've lived in that, in in, in the Dominican Republic. You know, they're you know several generations in. Because what did you say, Brian? They took it all the way back to 1929, I believe. Yeah, and, 1929, which is not which is which is you know pretty far. I mean, it's it's not like you know not to say that it would be justified if they took it back to 2000, right? Because we know that the main reason that they're doing this. Is, is based on race and, and based on denying people their human and civil rights, right? And also denying the right to vote, which is another thing that we have to talk about because the, the immigration policy that, that the Dominican Republic is adopting is, is really in a lot of ways tied to U.S. domestic policy concerning exactly. immigration. And just, just like, and just like um, they're adopting our immigration policies, a lot of other countries are adopting our immigration policies as well as our incarceration policies. So right. I mean, we have to think about these things. I mean, there's a, there's a system of incarceration um, that, you know, focuses on people of color, immigrants, and others to, disen to systematically disenfranchise them and to create systems of inequality that, that are basically um, impossible to escape, you know? So we have right. to talk about that. Exactly. And, you know, some of the issues that they're dealing with, you know, over there, you know, it kind of runs parallel to some of the things that we're dealing with over here, as well as around the world, because it's anti-blackness all around the world. And I want to make sure people understand this and take more of a global look, have a, you know, broader ask, you know, broader, you know, um, you know, take, just take a broader look at all of this. But, you know, what's been happening in um, the Dominican Republic, they've had anti-black mob violence, you know, and we talked about that on our domestic terrorist show and some other shows, but, you know, we've talked about mob violence, you know, anti-black, and, and you see some of that even now in this country, you know, um, you know, beatings, burnings, lynchings, all of that. You know, that's what's been happening over here, you know, and it's just it's unfortunate. It's absolutely unfortunate. And, you know, when I see some of the pictures and I look at, you know, the people's faces, and you can, especially some of the older adults, you can just see the worry. You can see, you know, the tension in their faces. And, you know, Latinos in the United States, you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to stand up and fight this, you know, and, you know, we're here with you. We stand in solidarity with you. You know, we'll support you in any way, but, you know, U.S. Latinos, you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to say something, and especially, you know, um, you know, with the Latinos in New York, you know, there, there have been some um, tension up there as well with the Dominicans that, you know, some of them that agree with what's happening over there and those who don't, you know, Juno Diaz, he has spoken out against, you know, the deportations and the racism, you know, that's being displayed in the Dominican Republic. So, you know, now he's getting attacked and he's fighting back. And it's, it's like there's so much that's happening, but it, it has to be more than just him who stand up. You know, we have a lot of Afro-Latinos in this country around the world. There was a meme that went around and that was saying that, you know, the only difference between, you know, a Dominican, a Haitian, a Mexican, you know, an African-American, um, you know, and a number of other people, the only difference is a boat stop. 
that's it. The blood still is pretty much the same. So, you know, we need to look at this because this does, you know, this is very important, especially when you have people running around talking about they want their country back. And with our little domestic terrorist assassin, that was one of the excuses that he used. And you're taking over our country. And he also said, you're raping my women. And when Raina was talking about, um, you know, the situation in, in, in Israel, you know, it's also about, you know, women, you know, women, you know, dating and, you know, marrying, you know, other cultures. That's the same issue that we're having here. And so, you know, the Latino celebrities in this country, you're going to have to say something. Just like the black celebrities in this country, you're going to have to say something about what's happening now. And so, you know, again, we have this silence happening, and this is not the time to be silent. doesn't matter if you're black, white, Latino, Asian, indigenous, etc. It's time to speak out, you know, because we've been here and we've been, we've been quiet in silence and, and just watching this, and it's getting worse. It's not getting any better. And racism against blacks, you know, over the entire world is on the rise. And this is why we post information about other countries and what's happening over there. You know, there was some anti-blackness over in France. I posted about that. I posted about the anti-blackness in Italy. And the number of, oh, in Germany, it's been crazy over there. This is why we encourage you guys to read newspapers. And when I say newspapers, I'm talking about even some of the alternative papers. You know, I love Al Jazeera. I find a lot of information out on Al Jazeera. You know, alternate and, you know, read the BBC. Read some of the newspapers from some of those countries because then it hasn't been cut with a lot of propaganda. And they sometimes report stories that, um, you know, the U.S., you know, press won't touch. So you need to pay attention. There are activists organizing all over the world, and we need to pay attention and we need to support one another because, you know, again, you know, if this is allowed to continue, you know, we're in for a hell of a time. And like I said, you know, basically we don't have the option to flight. We don't have the option to run. Basically we're going to have to fight, and that's what's happening. This is why we're talking about state violence against black life. And so it's just as important that we start addressing this because that is the only way we're going to be able to heal and to move forward. So, um, you know, it's it's just interesting. You all need to go out and pay attention and see what's happening, you know, around the world. But what's happening over in Israel and the Dominican Republican, you all need to pay attention. Dominican Republican. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Republic, you know, it's like, ah, you know, been talking about them crazy fools, too, the Republicans. But, you know, James Baldwin, you know, he wrote to Angela Davis when she was on trial. And he said, we must fight for your life as though it were our own, which it is. So mm-hmm. I kind of want you guys to let that sink in because it's true. And he also says, and you know, and I'll repeat it, we must fight for your life as though it were our own, which it is, and render impassable with our bodies the corridor to the gas chamber. For if they take you in the morning, they will be coming for us that night. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. 
Because I remember that, you know, that poem that, you know, or it was, you know, I don't know if it was a poem or not, but it was talking about, you know, the different peoples, the different cultures, and how, you know, when pe- the people came for them, everybody else was silent. And then, you know, you had one last group standing, and, you know, they said, well, there was no one to speak for us. There was no one to defend us, and they didn't defend any of the other people that had been taken. So it's just it's important that you all understand and we get out here because it's just it's horrible. So, uh, Raina, did you want to expound on that a little bit more? Or did I just kind of hit some of the, you know, the main points? Is there something you wanted to add to it? You know, I mean, I pretty much said a lot of what I had to say. I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's articles out there that talk about um, the United States and its and, and our war on terrorism and our, like I said, our foreign, our, our started our immigration policy. Um, we actually have been training border um, patrol in um, Dominican Republic. And, having, right. and, and you know, this, there's this notion that we have to stop migrants before they get, even get to this country. So we have to stop, them, stop people from migrating to other countries that might migrate here. So, I mean, just, just think about that. You know, there's this, you know, the United States is always talking about, you know, it's sovereignty and protecting its sovereignty and blah, 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 blah. And yet we're going into these other places. You know what I mean? And basically establishing a U.S. border. You know what I right. mean? A, a U.S. homeland, you know, putting U.S. homeland security agents on the ground basically to make sure that people don't migrate to that country so that they can migrate here. And the, and these are, and the people who advocate these sorts of positions are generally the people who are for, for smaller government. You know what exactly. I mean? So it's like supposedly for smaller government. So like you know, just think about that. You know, it's there's this what they're what they're in what these people are concerned with, what their main objective is. Their main objective is is to keep this country under white control, white male control, and um, and that's what and that's what they're concerned about. They don't want people who are brown and black and and other to come here and to gain power and have the right to vote. They want to criminalize them, and they early, and that's what why part of you know the part of why the invest the um, incarceration complex is so um, important because it allows people to be disenfranchised and lets people move around the money. You know what I mean? There's a lot to think about. You know what I mean? Right. When you're talking about these sorts of issues, and um, you know, it's right. Um, it's just something. It's so just something it's- to think about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, we want you all to investigate why the U.S. is over in the Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic, you know, um, you know, why? Why are we there? Raina just gave you a part of it. Go and look that up. Mm-hmm. Understand why we have people over there, and it will make much more sense to you. But anyway, so, yeah, we're going to segue into, you know, white allies and, you know, what's happening in this country. And, you know, I've seen people saying, well, black people need to do A, B, and C. And earlier when I was giving my monologue, 
I was talking about how some of the white people are out here saying, well, Barack Obama needs to stop calling white people racist, and then all of this violence will, you know, come to a, to a halt. That's not true. Uh, and, you know, a lot of what's happening now is, is kind of is based on anti-blackness, but it's also based on the economy. And, you know, if you go back in history, you'll start seeing some of the parallels because, you know, there are reasons when you start seeing white uprisings like this and, you know, white attacks, you know, it's, it's tied to, you know, politics. And so, you know, we've talked about a lot of it. And like I said, we're going to have to probably do another show on this. But, you know, just looking at all of, you know, some of the things that white people are out there saying, especially some of the things on Fox News, Alveda King, Martin Luther King's cousin, they gave her a spot on Fox News, and she blamed the massacre in Charleston on abortion rights. And you have some people out here just making this shit up as they go along saying that, oh, it's not about race. It's not about race. And, 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 Lena, you know, it's just, it's, it's disheartening because, you know, even the FBI director does not want to call, you know, our domestic terrorist assassin. They don't want to say that that situation was domestic terrorism. You know, they're steering clear. You have white people out here saying that it wasn't about race when he, he himself, the terrorist himself, said that it was about race. If he said it was about race, who are you to say that it was not about race? Right. I mean, I just don't understand. And why are we allowing this to happen? And then also with the craziness with Rachel, you know, you have some commentators, some of these political pundits out here. And the first thing they said when they saw his picture, well, he may not be white or he may not be all white. You know, he could be transracial. Now they've added another element, another factor to the bullshit that we're dealing with. And so, you know, this is some of the stuff that just frustrates the fuck out of me. You know, but, you know, look, let me tell you some things that we do not have to do. Okay, and especially after what happened in... What what the hell just happened in Charleston? We do not have to justify or police our rage. Okay, we have a right to feel, and we have a right to express in any manner that we deem appropriate. And so, I mean, we have a right to feel that rage. We have a right to express that rage. You know, and, and this is nothing new. This has been this we oh, we've been sitting on this. This is you know, this is like a pressure cooker, and that's what's been happening in this country. And you have you know, we've had people adding more to it, pressing it down even more, more pressure, more. Pr- it was only a matter of time before it exploded, and you know, this keeps up. This is going to be a hell of a summer. And, you know, has not officially started yet, but it's going to be a hell of a summer. You know, and, and, and you know, the, the domestic terrorist said he was trying to start, you know, a, a race war. And don't forget, because we talked about that couple that was in Las Vegas, 
that was shooting up every damn body, talking about they wanted to start a race war. And that is the sentiment across the board, across this country, that they want a race war. And, I mean, and I'm not saying everybody is saying that, but, you know, you have your select people. Don't forget about what's happening up there in North Dakota. You know, we just want to make sure we bring this shit you remind you of what's happening. And there are many, many more examples. You know, that's why we want you to go out and pay attention. I you actually know, was going to say that I saw something the other day about a town mm-hmm. in um, – an entire town that supposedly has been taken over by um, neo-Nazis in Germany. Um, you know, they're trying to gain, uh, you know, more political foothold, uh-huh. you know, in Germany uh-huh. now. So, I mean, and, and there's and there's also, you know, this, there's a, there's a strong, okay, so outside of just, like, straight whites, well, not outside of, but also included among the the all of the white supremacist groups. Cause I think I actually heard someone on, on, on uh, Fox News say that there are fewer, you know, hate groups now than there were in the past. And I'm like, where did he get that from? Because when Obama <laughs> was elected president, there were like over 1,200 that sprang exactly. up. And I think since then, like, you know, probably because people had shit to do, you know what I mean? There's like maybe about 800 now. You know what I mean? So about 400 probably, <laughs> they just they either got consolidated or people just were like, shit, I, my Tuesdays, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> but right. In any case, exactly. um, you know, they they just, you know, there there's all of these hatreds. But, you know, there's, there's also these groups out here that are now um, trying to represent themselves as, like, social justice-type organizations that are uh-huh. talking about white genocide. So you'll you'll right. see them out here, and they'll talk about like you know how you know um, diversity is a code word, you know, for uh you know genocide, white genocide, and they'll talk about right. like how um how like you know only the white countries, what are white countries like, you know right. what I mean? Like, and it's the funniest shit ever because I think I heard like Amani Yandy say say on like uh, Twitter who's saying like how. You know, I'll grant you that there are white countries. You know, most of them are like Sweden and Norway. You know, what I mean? like, uh-huh. like, those are like right. white you know, countries. Finland, but, right? <laughs> so you know, but they're, right. So yeah, they're they're talking about like white genocide as as though it's like a real thing, and it's it's um right. it's really it's 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 really ridiculous. Um, you know, you just got to keep your eyes open, and a lot of the stuff that we see, um out here, you know, there are really a lot of code words. So, like, there's a guy exactly. in, in Ohio a couple months ago. Um, he's a senator, and I can't remember the guy's name. I think I had it on my Facebook page. I'll have to see if I can find it again. But um, he actually said that, you know, the problem with liberals is that they're not afraid to let poor people wither and die. And, you know, for me, you know, I don't, you know, it's, that sounds like eugenics to me. You know right. what I mean? And there seems to be, like, a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of people who are also now um, in favor of, you know, uh, allowing people to opt out of vaccines and things like that. And, you know, if you Uh listen to some of their commentary, a lot of it is, you know, either, you know, pretty, you know, pretty obviously, you know, eugenic in terms of its, its tone or vaguely eugenic, you know what I mean? in right. its tone. Right. And um and so you have to 
understand is like some of the language of, of, of racism and white supremacy and, and eugenics is out here and we're being and it's being fed to us and some of us don't know what exactly we're hearing, but that's what we're hearing. There is exactly. a fear out here. There's a substantial right. fear about what this country is gonna look like in twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years. And that exactly. that, that this country is gonna look a lot browner than it started right. out uh-huh. is 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 it's scary, terrifying. Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting about that is I remember in the early, mid-80s, and there was a um, Time magazine, because my mom used to order things like National Geographic and Time and all of that, because I used to read them. And I still have a copy of the original um, Time magazine in which it talks about the browning of America. And, you know, the target year was 2012. You know, that was the projected year they were talking, you know, talking about it was going to be extremely obvious about the browning of America. And we, we've talked about whiteness and, and how they keep, you know, expanding their territory to include people in that particular circle and keep expounding and redefining whiteness in an effort to make their numbers look greater and while their numbers are really, gen- you know, genuinely declining. And, you know, I said last week the only people that I consider white are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. All those other people, they're ethnic whites. And ethnic whites meaning that they were invited to the party because they have lighter skin. And they're trying to fool the people. But anyway, I'm not even going to go into that, but you know it's true. Look it up. And so, um, you know, another thing that we, and this is only part one. I just have a feeling we're going to be talking about this for a minute. Because we got to get the points across, and I don't want to rush through it. I want to make sure that we're able to talk about these things. But number two, and I want you all to get this, and I want you to understand it, and I want it to be your new mantra. I don't have to apologize for my trauma or anger. We don't have to apologize for that. Why do we have to apologize for people and who I are I don't have to forgive you either. That's part of the series. That's part of what we're going to be talking about later on. So I don't have to forgive you. I don't have to forgive you. I was reading somewhere that this one young lady reached out to one of the black um, political pundits right here. I forget who it was. But, you know, the woman, you know, she reached out to her and she said, you know, what is wrong with me? She thought something was wrong with her. So apparently her brother had been killed by, you know, a white person. And it's been, I believe, over a dozen years. And she said she still has not forgiven, you know, that person who killed her brother, who took her brother's life. But she sees, you know, the son of one of the women that were murdered in in Charleston. He's on the news talking about, you know, he forgives them. And she wanted to know if something was wrong with her because she had not forgiven, you know, the murderer who took her brother's life. And they told her, no, there is nothing wrong with you. We have to stop apologizing for being angry. We have to stop apologizing for the trauma that was brought upon us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't create and we need judges, And we need judges to stop centering uh, racist white people or centering white people when shit is happening to us. 
like that judge who was talking about, well, we have another victim, and, you know, they're hurting too. You know what I mean? Like, fuck that. That's not our problem. Did they lose somebody? Did their son get shot? As a matter of fact, in this country, you can die for selling loose cigarettes. The police will kill you. Some will summarily execute you in the street for selling loose cigarettes. But if you kill nine black people, they will get you Burger King and put you in a a bulletproof vest. What is that shit about? That is not to say that I necessarily support the state, you know, um, the state having the authority to execute people. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that I that I I think that the state should have that power or shouldn't have that power or under what circumstances I think they should have that power. I haven't decided yet, but I I definitely think that there's something wrong in a country where a man can basically be choked to death in the street, you know, for something that really hasn't hurt anyone. You know what I mean? And then to see the way that this boy has been treated. And then not even this, this he's not even a boy, he's a man. So let's also get that thing. I've, I've been hearing people talking about how he's a, you know, he's a boy or he's a child or a young man or whatever. You remember when, you know, Trayvon Martin was murdered? They were calling him a man. Exactly. This guy is 21 years old. Right. And there are, call- and there are some people calling him a boy. MSNBC was blurring his face out. As though he was right. a juvenile. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we have to pay attention. And, you know, that kind of goes into number three. But, you know, I want to go back and say, you don't, you know, you do not have to apologize for being yourself. You don't have to apologize for feeling whatever it is that you feel. And we, we can't do that. We have to stop doing that because by doing that, we're giving up the little power that we have. We don't have a lot, you know, just, no, stop. You know, and, you know, the next one, you know, stay informed of every update or development. And you need to pay attention because Raina is correct. They're calling that white guy, you know, you know, the domestic terrorist assassin. They're calling him a boy, and he's over 21, and they were calling Trayvon and, and Mike, Mike Brown and all the, they were calling them men, you know, and, like I said, it seems as though black children, the minute they, you know, are weaned from their mother's breast, they are now considered grown. And it's unfortunate. I mean, they were even calling the 14-year-old girl in McKinley. In some, in some of reports I read, they were calling her a young woman. I'm like, that is, she's not a young woman. That is a child. A young woman to me, you got to be at least 16 before I start calling you a young woman. You know what right. <laughs> Like, right. at least 16, and even then, you're still a child, technically, you know? And, but, goodness gracious. Right, and see, and that's the whole thing, and that's why I'm telling people, you know, you need to pay attention to what's happening. You need to be informed and pay attention to the updates, pay attention to the developments. But, you know, I want to make sure I put a caveat here. You know, when you see the trigger warnings out there, those are very true. Because, you know, you know, I've been triggered by some of the stuff that's happening here because I want to do more. You know, I want to do more. You know, we, we want this to stop. And there are going to be times when you just kind of have to walk away from all of this, turn off social media, you know, you know, grab a book, go sit outside, get some fresh air, drink your sweet tea. You know, I mean, that's very real. Sometimes we need a break from all of this. 
and that goes back to my monologue earlier. It's like we're being inundated after one incident, after one incident, after one incident, back to back to back to back. But we never really get a chance to recover. We never get a chance to catch our breath. We never get a chance to just, you know, to really sit back and analyze what's happening because by the time we try to analyze, you know, this one particular situation, then here comes three more. And, I mean, it's like so much more that we can talk about. I don't put nearly as much stuff on and my this page. Is, and, this is, and, this is, and this is why I want to tell something, say something else to, to our allies. You do us violence. You do us violence when you tell us that we're being too angry. Right. You do us violence when you, um, when you don't uh, take into consideration the pain that we're dealing with. Because right. this, is, this is traumatic. I mean, for, for black people to see these things continuing, we, especially for those of us who were raised to believe that this somehow, um, that we had somehow transcended all of this, that our grandparents had gone through this so that we wouldn't, you know? I mean, we are, you know, we are traumatized. So to, to, to tell us that we're too angry or to tell us right. that, you know, um, that we should have a different perspective or that things have actually gotten better, um, especially when you don't have the lived experience, you know, right. it is, is, is damaging. It's violent. Don't do that. Don't exactly. Do that. And, and what a lot of people, especially some of our white allies, you know, because, I mean, people that aren't allies with us, most of them don't give a shit. Let's just call it what it is. They don't care. But some of our white allies, you know, you know they claim to care, and sometimes they don't realize in some cases that they're doing more damage than the enemies are. And we need to understand, we need to start figuring out who really is an ally and who's an enemy, you know, and who's a spy. <laughs> because some of these white allies that are in our circle, let me tell you, they, they're not really allies. No. So you need to pay it's attention. Like the black people in our midst are not allies, are not are not down for the cause either. So, exactly, you know. exactly, That's exactly. But you know what's happening is, you know, you know, you know, this is triggering, you know, issues, you know, emotionally, physically, psychologically, and I'll go ahead and include, you know, spiritual, because you know we have some listeners that are believers, and and I know this. And so I don't want to leave them out of this. And people in the atheist community who have been out here and not showing any empathy or sympathy towards the people that were killed because they were believers, Raina, what did I say about those people? What did I say? Um, besides the fact that they're assholes? <laughs> <laughs> besides that, what did I call it? What did I say? Um, I forget now. Not with a big old fuck you. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. You know. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things one can say in in response. (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, the conversations we've had over the past few days, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, the the secular atheist, you know, you know, community that you know are making fun of these folks, you know, talking about where was their God? No, fuck you. You know, because see, these are, yeah, these are the same people. If you were in a situation, black or you know, atheist of color or humanist of color, if you were in a situation in which 
you needed to be fed. You needed to be clothed. You needed to be sheltered. These people, despite your being a non-believer, I truly believe that the majority of them would bring you in and treat you better than your fucking family. I mean, they didn't I'm know sick. this kid from a they didn't know this kid from a hole in the wall, and they invited what? him in, and he spent he spent an hour in 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 Bible study with them. And you know that I mean that in and of itself is a little bit unusual because a lot of churches, in my experience, they do not open. Um, you know, at least in, at least the Baptist churches I've been to, the AMU ones. I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where people who weren't members of the church ever showed up to Bible study. You know what I mean? But a lot of churches won't even let you attend Bible study unless you're a member who's gone through the new member class. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing so, is, is that he said that he almost didn't do it because the people were so nice to him. And even when he stood up and, and made his statement and was getting ready to shoot them, you know, they told him that he didn't have to do it. And then they started praying for him. And he right. shot them. And, that's, and this is another thing to, to, to also bring up is just the whole respectability thing, right? You know, because a lot of right. times black people are told that it's our behavior, right? So, right. you know, if we just do X, Y, Z differently, we don't have to worry about getting, um, you know, dealing with uh, certain aspects of racism or discrimination. But what gets more respectable than having Bible study and inviting people who you're not obligated to invite in, having the pastor who was not even really, you know, generally pastors aren't even present during Bible study. You know what I mean? The pastor, you know, to sit next to the pastor, they gave him a seat next to the pastor because he requested it. You know what I right. mean? Right. Like, right. How much more respectable did, could these Negroes have been? You know what I mean? Right. In this situation. Right. And yet they were gunned down. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And then also, you know, we want you to go back and read into the politics of the pastor and understand the history of that church, you know, the you know, political mm-hmm. history of it, and that, you know, that pastor was a state senator and some of the legislation that, you know, he passed and had introduced. You need to go back because this is not a coincidence. So no. we need I don't believe it was a coincidence at all. No. no I think, and I think I if you read his and if you read his manifesto, I think he uh-huh. said that he chose Charleston because of its history. He may not have exactly. known the exact history of this particular church, but he chose right. Charleston because of its history. Right, exactly. And I don't think I said it's a coincidence. I think I said it's not no, a no, coincidence. No, 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 no. No, no, I oh. you did say that it wasn't a coincidence, Kim. Okay. No, no, no. You know, sometimes I get tongue-tied, and then I get to thinking, I'm like, did I say it? So anyway, it's not you, hon. So, you know, I want you guys to go back and to pay attention. And and the pastor's wife was in the office. She hid in the office. And the little Mm -hmm. five-year-old girl that survived, somebody, I don't know, you know, they told her to play dead. Her mother. Mm -hmm. I I think it was her mother or somebody else they laid on top of her. And, um, right. and she played dead, and they played dead. So. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, who, guys, you know, anyway, it's so, so much. It's so much. That's why I know this is only part one, because it's so much material to go over. 
And, you know, I'm specifically talking to our white allies. I'm also talking to the listeners of, you know, any ethnicity or culture or what have you, because, you know, across the board, this affects us. What happened in Charleston has an effect on the Latino community. What Mm -hmm. happened in Charleston has an effect on the Asian community. What happened in Charleston has an effect on the Native community. And what happened in Charleston has an effect on the white community. And it's especially important for the white people to understand that. You know, you have a responsibility here. And so, you know, again, you know, the next one would be you don't have to explain yourself to any damn body, especially white people, because you have so many white people running around here asking us to educate them and asking us to explain our rage and to explain blah, 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 explain always why, 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 why. Your Google works as well as mine. And what you do when, when, when you keep asking me why and asking me to explain everything and asking me to explain myself, what you're telling me is that you're not hearing me and you don't want to do the work to find out why. And to, to garner some type of empathy or sympathy. Go ahead, Raina. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so, you know, again, we, we don't owe you an explanation. You know, um ha, yeah, and we're not gonna t- we're not gonna continue to you know, to to give attention to white supremacist propaganda. Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of that you know, out there, so you need to pay attention. But, yeah, we don't have to explain shit to anybody. And so, you know, move forward. If you really want to know why and to understand, go read. Read books by non-whites. Mm-hmm. That's where you can start with some of that. Read articles by non-whites. There are a lot of people out here giving commentary on this. And, you know, if you really want to know, You'll go out and educate yourself. I shouldn't be responsible for having to do that. Even though we educate people on this show, I still encourage you to go out and do independent research and to fact check what we're saying. You know, and and what's interesting is, you know, what I'm seeing a lot in, you know, the secular community, and, I mean, you have some of this happening in the communities of faith, and basically, you have some people, you know, what I call some of them are tokens of color. They're out there, and they're trying to include and involve the feelings of white people, you know, in our responses. And we don't have to do that. Nope. They don't include us when they respond to, to you know, shit that happens. Nope. They didn't include the, the terrorist assassin didn't include our feelings or the feelings of the people, you know, who are being affected and impacted by this, he didn't take that into consideration when he decided to shoot all those folks? Nope. So, I mean, guys, you need to pay attention. And then, you know, what's interesting is that he went up to Shelby, North Carolina, and there's a lot of hate groups up there. And I guess they were going to take him through the white, you know, um, you know, the white underground railroad, I don't know what the hell to call it. I don't even want to call it the underground railroad, strike that shit. I mean, you know, they were getting ready to hide him. I think they were going to ship his ass back to Africa so that he could escape prosecution. 
And so, you know, no, you do not have to factor in white people's feelings. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people, you know, that are doing this. And when you do this, you diminish our role. You diminish and, and totally disrespect the fact that we have feelings. Mm-hmm. And and you try to, you know, white explain things away. And we see a lot of that. You know, I've seen some of the bloggers, you know, in the secular community, some of the white bloggers, and some of the things, you know, that they're putting out there. And some of them, and some of the black bloggers, I saw, I've seen a couple of, and I'm like, what the hell are they thinking? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, Wow. It's just, you know, it's, it's, un, it's, it's unreal. You know, we, we can't express our grief until it's been, you know, thumbed up and approved by white people. No, fuck that. No, that's never going to happen. And we don't have to give them space. As a person of color, you know, a black woman that has gone through this, I don't owe you space. I don't mm-hmm. owe you space to turn around and talk about how, you know, black people are racist, too. And I had an incident like that on my wall. I turned around and blocked the guy, and I deleted, you know, all the entries he had on my threads. Because, you know, he started talking about black-on-black crime and how black people are racist. I don't owe you that space. Mm -hmm. I don't owe you that. Understand that. And those of you who are listening, you don't owe them that either. You know, Mm -hmm. you already, you know, have more than us. You're not giving up your white privilege. You're not using your white privilege to make things better. You're sitting around, you're being quiet, and you're burying your head and being willfully ignorant. And then when you want to talk about it, you want to come and and demand that we give you space so that you can white-splain shit away. Because you have some white allies that are out here saying, not now. It's not time yet. It's not time. Just wait. Wait for what? Not all white people. Yeah. Yeah, you know? You know, then we know that that's a given. We know it's not all white people. But the thing is, that should not be your fucking well, response. No, I disagree with that. I agree. I disagree with that. I disagree that it's uh-huh. not all white people. Because, okay, this is, right. this is my perspective on it. Because I think that uh-huh. I think that white people have have it twisted. Like, they have this like, this notion that, that racism is bad. Therefore, bad people do racism. Right. So that if, yeah. if me as a white person, if I'm out here and I don't like, I don't call people the N word or, you know, I don't hurt people or I like, you know, I might give money to the United Negro College Fund or, you know what I mean? Or things like that. Therefore, I'm not racist. Um, right. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, you still may harbor, you know, racist attitudes, whether you That's recognize true. them as such or not. And then there's also the fact that whether you whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you benefit from a system exactly. of white supremacy. And exactly. when you don't speak on it and when you don't um, actively uh, fight against it, you are helping to enforce it exactly by your exactly. silence. And exactly. so it doesn't matter that you yourself you know, don't support, you know, the incarceration system or whatever, or, you know, you think that what happened in Charleston is horrible. But that time that your friend made that racist joke, you didn't speak up. You know what I mean? You know, or Or you don't talk about, or you don't talk about all the various ways. 
at the office that you see that black people are being discriminated against, looked over, and, and, and what have you. Right. Yeah, you you don't speak up. And, I mean, I stand corrected. I'm right there with you, you know. And, you know, you, you sit back and you benefit from your white privilege. And, you know, also benefiting from your white privilege is when you're silent. When you see that something is of a disservice, that somebody is being discriminated against, and, and you say nothing. Or you know that that particular person, you know, their manager is a racist and that they're, you know, basically sabotaging other folks. And when you sit there and you say nothing, you're empowering them. They're expecting your silence. And when you give that silence and you don't stand up and say something, then, yeah, you know, that's right. part of that. And there's I other think. ways, and there's other ways that it happens, too. I mean, you know, there's, um, for example, I mean, um, a lot of things we don't realize, uh, a lot of racism actually gets propagated through networks, right? So, like, you know, white right. people have generally, like, a, a net networks that they in, interact with, you know, not just their friends, right, but people that right. they can call on um, to get things done, right? So, like, one thing that they've found in, like, studies of, of, of black children in suburban school settings is that they find that white parents tend to come together and um, and share information and learn things like who who are the best teachers, right, to write recommendation letters. And they'll actively do things like make sure that their children are are are, are at the front of the line to take those courses, or um, right. or or what have you. And so they share information like that. And generally, black kids get left out. So it's not so much that they're necessarily being racist, right? In that they but they're um, benefiting. But they're benefiting. They're benefiting in such a way um, that dif, dis, um, that that black children and black families are left out because they're not they're not incorporated into those networks. They're not included. Exactly, yeah. and that's reason why, you know, sometimes I'll post something, it'll come across my news feed because, you know, not everybody that's Facebook friends with me, not not everybody is for me, and I understand, but um, it, it's just interesting, but that's why we post information um, because we know that there is a lack of, you know, information being passed around or you may have missed something, and that's why I post it to all of my social media to make sure you see it in one form or the other. And it's, it's important that we start building up our networks and putting that information out there. There's a reason why I post some of the things that I post. Even some of the things that I post, I would agree with. But I do right. that so that I can have a better understanding and can build a better argument. And so right. um, it's just interesting. And, and, you know, just kind of segueing from yeah, what you I said. Yeah, and I'm bringing that up because, like I said, it's it's not a matter of, them being racist or anything like that, or or just right. um, having the information or whatever. It's it's the the way that those things get aggregated in a in a setting where children are already being discriminated against. You know, exactly. children of color are already being discriminated against. So you know, there's there's things that we have to think about. Um, you know, think you know how a lot of white people who even are our allies are against things who say that they are our allies. Uh, say they're against things like quotas and affirmative action and things like that. You know, these are the things that we need because of systems like that, systems that don't necessarily, um, that one can't necessarily legislate, right? 
but things that nonetheless have an effect on outcomes because people, people tend to friend people where they live. People tend to live in, in the highly segregated, you know, localities because of institutions of racism, you know? Right. Exactly. And, And we did a show on affirmative action. And what a lot of people don't seem to realize is that white people benefit more from affirmative action than we do, particularly white women. So it's, it's really interesting when you see some of these people saying that they're against affirmative action because it's going to have a bigger impact on, you know, the white community, white women. So it's interesting. But, you know, going on, you have these people out here, and I, I talked about it earlier, and I'll talk about it again now, that tell us to be peaceful. So I'm like, what, we're supposed to go into our little prayer closet and pray about it or go outside and light a candle and sing We Are the World? The fuck? You know, and peace, the term peace, that's subjective in and of itself. And, and what's interesting is right, they, because the South was the South was peaceful <laughs> according right. to according to the Southern whites who benefited from slavery. The South was, exactly. was very peaceful. Before the north, the northerners decided to stick their big noses in. Yeah. Right, and you white people out here that want to define what peaceful is for us, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and it's it's coded. It's a language. It's a coded language. We talk about you know race codes and 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 language codes and you know code words and you know you got to pay attention to this. But what they want us to do is to stay quiet. They want us to assimilate, which means kind of blend in, but still take a backseat role, and they want mm-hmm. us to internalize what's happening out here, internalize our oppression. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we've done a lot of that, and now, you know, we're worn out, we're fucking tired. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any more excuses to give, you know, these people. There are none left. Not that there was, there was any in the beginning, this shit here is inexcusable. Yeah, absolutely. But yet we start to turn around and break bread and, you know, turn the other cheek and be peaceful, forgive. No, fuck that. I'm tired you know what? I was um I was watching Melissa Harris Mary this morning and she was um t- and, and one of the um the commentary commentators was um, saying, you know, it's interesting to think of it, but you know, black theology in this country really um, was born out of black terrorism and, uh, under conditions of, of of white terrorism against black people. And she was saying right. how, um, you know, in in some sense, you know, the northern northern whites when they were um, trying to sell abolition, you know, they said, you know, they were telling white people it's okay to free your slaves. Because um, the Bible tells slaves to forgive, you know. So right. there's this notion that you know. So 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 you know. Part of this, you know, uh, of the selling of it was um, that because they were religious, there was safety in letting black people right. go because they wouldn't retaliate. You know. So there's yeah. you know there there's a history here, and um, it, it's a part of that whole notion of of like I said, white terrorism. Right, so it's okay for whites to terrorize black people. It's not okay for black people to respond, you know. Exactly, exactly, and, and that's the thing, right there. The next point will be forgive. 
it's like, you know, we're always, you know, being pushed to forgive, to, you know, forgive anything that people have done, any type of violence that is done to us, whether it's psychologically, emotionally, physically, and spiritually for those out there. And we don't have to forgive. It is not mandated. And if you haven't forgiven something, you know, you know, one, oh, I can't even talk right. Uh, if you if you haven't forgiven, you know, people because of the violence that is inflicted on us, there's nothing wrong with you. Because I mean, I remember when I was in church, and you know, there were certain people that were always praying for forgiveness because it's like, you know, they were you know, ask the other person who they you know, transgressed or what have you for forgiveness. And, you know, and then they were supposed to ask God for forgiveness, and then they're supposed to forgive themselves. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. what we were taught. And sometimes it's just you just can't do it. You just mm-hmm. can't do it. And it's not mandated. And I'm upset that they, you know, put that young man, you know, his mother was slain. And they put him on the news talking about he forgives the killer, the assassin, mm-hmm. the domestic terrorist. We have to stop doing that shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the media has, like, it, it's like they fetishize it. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, right. It's, it's, like it's, it's like it's something that, like, white people at home need to see. You know what I mean, and and somebody oh, no. also brought it up brought up today on Twitter too that there seems also to be sort of a fetish uh, like a a white fetish for watching black people in in setting in in church settings or observing right. them in in uh in in their in their in their smaller communities right whether it be a church or whatever else it's like it's right. a fascination. You know, it's almost that, like, you know, sometimes the way that they put it up, it's almost like, like you're watching Discovery Channel. You know exactly. what I mean? And they and never like, do this shit when it comes to, like, and they never do this shit when it comes to white churches. Like, you will never see the way that they cover black churches on television, you know, used right. in the same way with white churches. It's just, there's not, there's a certain level of, like, voyeurism, and, and, right. with, and it lacks a certain amount of respect. That's you know what I mean? Right. At least the respect given to white churches under some, right. you know. So it's just it's just really interesting to think about. Exactly. And and the thing that gets me is, you know, earlier, you know, when I was talking about, you know, how we haven't even had a chance to process the situation, you know, before another one pops up, um, we don't have a chance, like I said, to breathe, to decompress. You know, that is taken away from us. But before we even have a chance to even begin that process, we're being pushed to forgive. Right. And, you know, there is no justice in that shit. And I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. And, mm-hmm. huh, no, 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 it's just an obstacle. Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's this problem that we have in this country. It's like black people are, are supposed to be endlessly forgiving and endlessly reasonable under conditions that are, you know, dehumanizing, you know, endlessly dehumanizing, you know, and it's just, it's just not fair. It's not fair and it's not right. And, you know, we should not be, that should not be expected of us. That should not be the expectation, especially when we're in pain. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, you know, we're supposed to push all of that to the back burner while we, you know, um, assuage the fear of white people, while we, you know, be their damn mammy and tell them that it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. Even though the violence was done to us, we got to make them feel as though they didn't do anything wrong and that we'll be there to, you know, defend them. They want us. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And you see a lot of that, you know, in the secular community. And, yeah, I'm going to talk about y'all asses. I probably won't get to it today. Well, I was also going to say something that's interesting, too, because um, uh, in this whole situation with um, with Dylan Roof, you know, he's talking about this, you know, um, this 150-year-old, you know, uh, analysis of race, right, this idea that black people are raping white women and, you know, we're taking over and all this shit. And, um, you know, for the atheist community, um, I just think it's worth mentioning that this is something that Frederick Douglass fought against in his time. You know, he Mm -hmm. had to fight against that very same narrative. And, um, you know, there's, you know, he has speeches, speeches on this. And so, you know, while, you know, you atheists are out here, you know, talking about, you know, the uh, the religiosity of black communities and where was their God and all this shit. You also need to be thinking about um, dealing with this, this narrative, right? Right. This, this false narrative. I mean, we're, we're skeptics, right? Right. So we need to be thinking about how to deal with this false narrative that black people are inherently um, violent and, right. um, that black men are, you know, particularly, um, you know, uh, prone to rape and sexual violence against white women and all of this such sort of thing. We should not be dealing with this 150 years later, you know? Exactly. 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 And, you know, it's just so much because one of the things that I saw on Twitter, you know, um, the day that, well, the next day when I found out about it, Thursday morning and, 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 you know, the subsequent days, is that I see some of the people from the secular community, you know, basically taunting and and harassing some of the people who are saying that they're praying for the families of, you know, the victims, that they're praying for the city of Charleston, that they're in prayer, just in general. And then, you know, they're responding, some of the the atheists and anti-theists or non-believers, whatever the hell you call yourself, you know, the little militant ones, the ones that are out here trying to be militant. What what are they calling themselves? Um, new atheists. No, not new. What? Damn it. Um, I can't think. But anyway, Firebrand you know, atheists. There you go. Firebrand atheists. See, you see how well, important that shit They call themselves new atheists, too, but still. Yeah, yeah, but particularly those firebrand atheists. And when I see you going out and responding to some of the prayer tweets with your God doesn't exist and you're taunting, you are committing violence Mm -hmm. against those people. With some of these people, all they have to offer are their prayers. And that makes them feel good. It makes them feel as though they're they're contributing to to the healing. A lot more than some of these atheists are contributing. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know what? You know, way to keep it classy, atheists. Way to keep mm-hmm. it classy. And I'm like, I haven't really seen any statements out there from some of the larger 
white atheist organizations, they may be out there, but I just don't fucking feel like looking for them because your track record has been abysmal. And mm-hmm. so I'm sitting here and I'm like, it's, it's horrible. But you know what? You know, let's define white allies so that, you know, people will understand who they are and what we're talking about. And I'm just going to give you the straight definition from Wikipedia. And it said, white allies are those members of the dominant culture in the United States who actively resist the role of the oppressor and who act as allies of people of color. There have been historically and there are currently white people who engage in anti-racist activities. And so um, they give a quote from Beverly Daniel Tatum from her book, uh, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And it says, of the consequences of racism in our society, it is that those who oppose racism are often marginalized. And as a result, their stories are not readily accessed. And so, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, even some of the white people that are involved in anti-racist activities, you know, in many cases, they're marginalized as well. And that's why some of them are afraid to even speak up. And they're out here mm-hmm. being silent. And your silence is not going to protect you, is not going to protect me, is not going to make this go away. What your silence signals to people is that they can say and do whatever the hell they want, and you're not going to say anything. Mm. We can't do that. We cannot allow that to continue to happen. We can't. We can't. You have mm. to, to speak up. You're going to have to say something. You know, and say something to people other than us. You speak up and you want to say something, but you're talking to us. Be peaceful. You know, forgive. Just move along. Move forward. This is old news. No, we can't afford to do that anymore. And especially with what's happening now with, you know, these these uprisings, if you will, you know, having white people, you know, trying to take their country back and shooting, you know, I mean, it's like, there were, there were stories out, you know, many, many years ago talking about how the police departments and the military, you know, are training grounds for white supremacists, and, you know, the white folks are like, no, that's not happening in denial. And look at what's happening now. Look at what's happening now down in Ferguson. You had, you know, um, different groups down. I think, what's the name of Promise Keepers? Is that the name of that group that no, were there? and something else. Okay, that's a, yeah. I think that's religious. Yeah, yeah, that's religious, and it's it's yeah. super problematic for so many reasons. But right. you know, please but, don't get us. You know, talking about <laughs> yeah. you know, they have snipers. They've been trained to be snipers, and they were, you know, um, putting themselves in strategic positions in Ferguson to shoot down, you know, the protesters. And, you know, they, they finally, you know, the government got them out of there. But the thing is, is that, you know, and I, and I have to talk about this because I posted an article, but the police union in Kentucky, the Kentucky Police Union, are saying that they are going to hunt down and take care of Black Lives Matter activists. And it's a very open threat. And, and what's interesting is, the protesters that are out here protesting the oppression, when they're arrested, they are booked and charged as domestic terrorists. But they don't want to, to charge or, or to call this a domestic terrorist 
act. But you walking down the street saying, we shall overcome, holding hands, holding your protest signs, that's an act of domestic terrorism. Let that sink in. Mm -hmm. Guys, I don't know what else that I can say to have you all look at this situation. This is crazy. You know, and, and, and when you start talking to white people in general about race, they absolutely implode. And they have such a hard time talking about this particular issue. You know, we get all the deflections. Well, what about black-on-black crime? And isn't it black people's responsibility to end racism? If you stop talking about it, it'll go away, you know. And if you keep, you know, if black people just did this, if black people just, you know, um, got married and, you know, uh, stopped, you know, committing violence or crimes, or if black right. people would go to college more, or if black people, if black people, if black people. But we have right. all these examples of black people being respectable. I mean, you even have a guy who was in his car when the police right. officer shot him and was exactly. sitting there bleeding, asking why he was shot. That right. was like the that guy could not have been any more polite or respectable, and he exactly. was shot. It doesn't matter, you know, what right. we wear or how we speak or how many degrees we right. put on the wall or you know right. how many figures we have in our bank accounts. We are black bodies, and our bodies are have been deemed problematic from the beginning, exactly. and it has not stopped. You know, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, um, just, you know, cause I was, again, you know, I, sometimes I actually read my news feed, not very often, unless it's something that's really interesting that catches my eye. And something went through yesterday that, you know, got my attention. And it was a post by a white gentleman of the name Joe Broomer. Again, this is a white atheist, and he made a status update, and I'll read it. Today, a white atheist walked into an African-American church in Ferguson, was gracious and respectful, and worked to make this country a better place for everyone. That atheist was me. I'm telling you this not to toot my own horn, but in the hope that others will follow the example. This country is being ripped apart, and if nothing changes, it will be in a civil war soon. Ferguson, Baltimore, Charleston, all bloodstained steps toward a long, bloody conflict. It's got to stop. And that is one of the things that we've been saying to our so-called white allies and atheist community. You have to come out here with us. You have to march with us. I know some people can't do that, and you got some people out here who feel like throwing money at the problem will fix it, and, you know, we're not turning down donations or anything like that, but you need to, you know, you need to step out of your bubble because there's too many in this community that are in the bubble, black and white, you know, and, you know, I posted an article talking about how, you know, we're noting the people who are being silent, the people, you know, are being silent on this issue, not making any status update, not posting any articles, not commenting on articles that were posted. And you have blacks and whites, you know, in the secular community doing just that. 
We're paying attention. I've told you this before. I've been paying attention for a lot of... My paying attention has gotten me in trouble in certain ways. Okay? you got people out here who are angry because... I'm asking questions, I'm questioning, I'm drawing, you know, conclusions, showing the parallelisms. <sighs> Guys, I will not give you a pass. I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. And the way that I see it, you know, the ones that are out here being silent, black, white, Latino, Asian, Native, being silent on these issues, you know, you're not a friend. You're not an ally. You're an enemy. Your silence makes you an enemy. It takes white people to check other white people to stop this type of shit. When we comment and try to check it, you know, it just turns it turns into a fucking circus which is why many of us don't even attempt to say anything anymore. But it's important that you all get out of here and you say something, that you do something. Even if you don't, even, even if the only thing you can do is, you know, show up to one of the marches, you know, hand out bottles of water or march with them, that helps. But sitting at home, and debating about this shit on Facebook or Twitter or sitting at home and saying nothing at all and watching it transpire. That's violence. That's violence because you're telling them that what they're doing is okay. And it's not okay. You're going to have to stand up. There are ways that you can be allies. You know, there are different ways in which you can be allies. And I really haven't gotten into the ass of the secular community yet. That's coming. But, you know, it was an article, and it was talking about seven ways to be a white ally for Charleston in a black community. And it was written by Aaron Barksdale. And it was on Huffington Post. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, you know, articles and blogs out here um, it, that can help you. Because, see, one of the problems is when when a crime is committed by a person of color, we're called criminals, we're called thugs, we're called, you know, any number of things. And when, it's com- when a crime is committed by a white person, then all of a sudden they're mentally ill. And we have to pull that narrative down. We have to. That is not true. And also that is violent to the people who are out here that have mm-hmm. mental health I was going to say that, too, because I was actually watching um, Melissa Harris Perry, and she was asking if um, racism should be added to the DSM, and I have so many problems with that. A, because because, um, the stigma of of mental illness disproportionately affects people of color, right? Right. Uh People of color with mental uh, illnesses, are are much more criminalized than white people. So there's right. a ginormous stigma attached to to um to mental illness that is um much is 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 a big problem for everyone, but is a particular problem for people of color. And if we're right. diagnosing people who are racist with a mental disorder or a mental illness, then what are we going to do for the people who are traumatized? by racism on a daily basis who is treating that pain who is 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 trying to remedy that 
And and my answer to that is is not going to be anyone because right. because um what is what is this whole discussion of of his mental state or mental illness is meant to do is to engender sympathy and to exactly. make him less culpable um in in our eyes for what he's done. But all of the facts right. are lining up, and I'm so glad that um that that person on Twitter um decided to um you know to you know, uh, basically buy access to this domain that he owned um, and and get this manifesto because it definitely shoots holes in um, any case for mental illness claim by his defense attorney. Because, right. I mean, he he wrote this out. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly coherent. You know what I mean? This is not the writings, the ramblings of someone who, is mental ill though he may have a mental illness this incident was was right. was very well planned he knew exactly what he was doing he reloaded that, no less than five times like he came in there with the intention of killing as many black people as he could exactly and, exactly yeah oh yeah we also have to kill the loner narrative or that trope mm-hmm. that they're putting out yeah. there that you know he was alone oh, no, i don't wolf. believe i don't believe that he was a lone wolf i seriously exactly. don't and not not just because he was headed to shelby but also because you know um they say he was headed to his sister's house i don't think he was headed to his sister's house i think he was headed elsewhere but even if he was headed to his sister's house i think he was headed somewhere with the intention of having someone to hide him or to exactly. get him to somewhere else and so I don't think that he was alone in this, whether it was his sister or someone else. He was he was hoping to have or or had a plan to meet someone who was going to help him, right. um, you know, get away from the situation. But um, even more than that, he is 21 years old. And, um, you know, I'm not, you know, this is not to say that someone cannot self-indoctrinate, you know, on the Internet and, you know, even if he was in these forums and he was just talking to people and help, who helped him plan this out, right? You know, that's conspiracy. Right. You know what I mean? So those people need to be sought out if, if they were involved. Um, but, you know, more than likely, there's some group, there's some, there's some hate group out there that he was fostered in, you know? And I don't, right. I don't know what his family dynamic is. Uh, his uncle seems to be fairly... Uh, fairly uh, surprised at this behavior, and his his uncle even said that he'd like to throw the switch. You know, See. so um, right. So I don't I don't know I don't know how much I believe that his family you know um, you know isn't racist or didn't foster him in an environment where he you know got the, these white supremacist views. I don't know if I believe that, but um, I think that whoever was involved in indoctrinating him. Is someone that needs to be looked at as a possible accomplice. Exactly. Exactly. Because there were people that were definitely complicit with, you mm-hmm. know, his point here. And what I found interesting is, you know, the media found his one black friend and oh, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. you know that one black friend all white people have? And so, you know, what's interesting is you have all of these articles coming out, all of these studies that have shown that 75% of white people do not have a black friend or an associate. You know, go look that up. And, and, you know, and and so much to talk about. 
you know, the second one is learn some history, you know, and right here in this article it says learn the history of the AME. No, learn the history of this country and its treatment of people of color and, you know, um, their stance on white supremacy and capitalism. And it will explain, go learn some history, period. Um, and the I third mean, one is learn some history about why the AME church even exists. I mean, you know, there are white people who are, you know, who, who, for whatever reason, are really bothered by the fact that there that something called the black church exists. Well, it exists because we were not welcome. We were terrorized right. by, by those congregations that we tried to integrate. You know what I mean? So there's no, you know, you have to do some research into why these things exist, you know? Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, some of the blacks that were allowed in those churches, they would put them up in a balcony. And just like, you know, the movie theaters, the blacks were able to be in a balcony, um, even with, you know, some of the, you know, state houses, you know, even with the House of Representatives and the Senate, you know, of this country and of several states, the blacks were forced to sit in a balcony. And last week I talked about a book called Nigger Heaven, and it's talking about that, how the blacks were placed in a balcony away from everyone. But that's a whole different story. I just kind of wanted to give a little context since I was talking about that book. But um, mm-hmm. the third one here is reject the notion that the attack was part of a war on Christianity. So here we go. Alveda King, Martin Luther King's cousin, you know, and Fox News and a number of other people are blaming, you know, the attack as a war on Christianity, blaming the attack on gay marriage, abortion rights, you know, a number of other things. And unfortunately, you have some of these same people, you know, some of the Fox viewers, some people in even the atheist community that are saying that this was not a race-based crime. So if it wasn't, if, if it wasn't committed because he was trying to exterminate some black people and start a civil war, then what was it? And especially mm-hmm. in the community, if you're saying that this was not based on race, then what was it based on? Was it based on the fact that they were believers? And if that's the case, then there's still some responsibility here to take. Because if you're saying that it wasn't based on race and that it was based on religion, then, you know, that puts more blood on your hands, black and white atheists, the ones that are out here doing violence to the black church, which in essence is doing violence to the black community because black religion, black Christianity in particular, is interwoven into the black community. It is together. And although we try to separate it, that's not, you know, religion is one of the ways in which we have been somewhat protected, you know, from white supremacy. And, you know, we got two minutes, and the number to the show is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982. And you can listen in as we go into overtime. 
and thank you for thank you all for listening and for your support. I appreciate it. And thank you all. You know, I was watching and looking at um, the archives from last week. Thanks for listening to the show. You know, we're back. I appreciate it. But getting back to it, you have black and white and, you know, just atheists across the board, ethnicity, culture, what have you, that are out here. Because, again, if you go and you look at the studies and the surveys and all of that that are out there, it shows that the black community is heavily religious. And when you have, you know, atheists, you know, free thinkers, non-believers, what have you, pointing the finger at the Christian church and namely, you know, um, black Christians, you know, my thing is, is that is one of the reasons why that you don't have any sympathy or empathy is because you feel that they deserve it. And if that's what you feel, you're a piece of shit. Right. Period. Black, white, whatever the hell you are. Those people did not deserve to have that. And if you're saying that it's not about race and it was about Christianity and, you know, there may be some out there that agrees with what he did, I don't want to be associated with anything like that. And I've seen some of the black atheists around here talking about they don't have any sympathy for them because they shouldn't have been in a church. And, you know, their white Jesus hasn't done anything for them. And just a number of different just bullshit excuses is wrong, people. It's wrong. And for you to continuously, you know, commit violence against these people because they believe, then we got it all mixed up. We may have issues with the ideology or the theology or what have you, but we shouldn't be taking it out on the people. That's the problem. There are too many people in this community that view religious people as the enemy, and that's wrong. We can't move forward like that. I don't want to be a part of a community that that feels that way and that excuses this type of behavior. Now, the young, you know, the um, domestic terrorist assassin made it clear that this was about race. That's not up for debate. You want to debate it, get on his friends list so you can go visit him in jail. That is the only person that you can debate about whether it was about race or not. He made it very clear. And I really have a problem with how some of the people... In the secular community, you know, I have a problem with how they've responded to this situation. You know, and there are many of us that are out here that empathize and sympathize with what's happened to these people. You know, I believe the majority of us do. But unfortunately, you have some people in leadership positions that take the absolute opposite stance. You're going to see some black atheists out here caping for that white guy. You're going to see it, you know, and again, he's a domestic terrorist assassin. That's what the fuck he is. Um, Raina, do you have any input on there or can I move on? You can move on. You can move on. Okay. 
The fourth one would be dispel the myth that there are more guns, or basically, I'm sorry, dispel the myth that more guns solve problems. That's uh-huh. not true. Right. Right. That's not true. I mean, you know, <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, the NRA, you know, they released a statement saying that the pastor created that situation, that the pastor brought that situation upon himself because he was voting for stricter gun laws as a senator, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, the, and you know, NRA. while he was in the church. And if he had had a gun, then he would have done, you know, then he would have at least been able to defend them. But, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. And see, huh, and that's the thing. You know, most people don't realize this. They may not know this. But in in many churches across this country, and in particular black churches, because of the history, go back and read the history on the attacks on the black church. You know, some of these pastors are walking around, you know, strapped. They have guns, you know, some of the deacons, you know, in some of the mega churches, you know, if you pay attention, all of the ushers are men. And, you know, you see the security detail, but the usher, the ushers are part of the security detail. They send them off to boot camps, and they train with ex-CIA and Secret Service um, officers, and they teach them self-defense. They teach them what to look for. And that's why in many of these mega churches, that's why you don't see women ushers, you know, to kind of give you, you know, some insight. Um, they used to have a, you know, I don't know if they're still in existence. I didn't get a chance to look this up. I was too busy reading about what was happening. But it used to be deacons for defense. And, you know, a lot of the deacons in the church, they would be armed because, you know, they had to protect. You know, attacking the church is not new. This has been happening for a while. You know, there was a church in Jackson, Mississippi, and, you know, someone came in and robbed the entire church during a service. And it just didn't happen in Jackson, Mississippi. It happens, you know, in a number of other places. We just, you know, and it's being reported. Some things we miss, some things we don't, you know. And I don't post everything that I see, but you need to go out there and um, take a look at that. I, I really have a problem with that myth, more guns solve problems. No, they don't. And the next one would be, remember the names of the victims. Honor the people that lost their lives in this tragedy. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, in in this article, it talks about how the domestic terrorist assassin wanted, you know, his notoriety, wanted his 15 minutes of fame. And he got it. He got it. But what about the people that were gunned down, that lost their lives? You know, their names are DePayne Middleton Doctor, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, Clementa Pickney, Tywanza Sanders, Daniel Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, and Myra Thompson. Maybe we should take a few minutes out and just remember them say their names, read some articles that tell you a little bit about them and their lives. That's important. Mm -hmm. The next point would be... Learn about the church that they were in. Learn that Morris Brown was was one of their founders, along with Denmark Vesey, who, you know, planned an unsuccessful um, 
you know, rebellion against slavery. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. It's important that you all, you know, learn that history. And I think we said that above. And, you know, learn the history of that church, why the AME church exists, and also learn the history of violence against church, against the black church. It's important. Um, let's see here. The next one would be understand the history connected to terrorism on black churches. So say I didn't even get down as far as it, it's just, it's all intertwined. It's all connected. It's all important, you know, and right here it says over a hundred churches have been targets of terrorist acts since the civil rights era. Given the important role churches have played in black history, these hate crimes strike at the heart of the community. And that's true. And there were some people on Facebook, some of the conversations, and they were talking about the reason why, you know, these terrorists, domestic terrorists, know how to find black people is because they know to go look at the church. They know that these people are, you know, in church. And so my question to some of the atheists of color that make comments like this is, you know, what about us? What about us? And what I mean by that is, you know, you're not at the black church, which we understand because many of us walked away, washed our hands of that. But, you know, if they're going after people in black churches, you know, some of these people are, you know, some of these terrorists are, you know, religious fanatics. We advertise about our meetings and all of that. What makes you think they won't come after us? And just because you have some white, atheist, secular friends, that's not going to save you. Your friends are not going to save you. Your white friends can't save you. Not that many in this community would want to, especially if they're libertarian, but I'm not going there today. But they can't save you. You still need to know how to operate a weapon, how to clean a weapon. Oh, and that's another thing we need to talk about when we when we get a chance, Kim. There's um yes. uh there's an uh Reason magazine, uh mm-hmm. you know, uh the Libertarian magazine. They actually um there someone tweeted out um the uh scanned pictures of where the magazine was actually arguing that the United States had an, a vested interest in supporting Rhodesia. See, there you go. And we do. Yeah. Just okay, like we have a no, 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 no. No, Kim, yeah, I'm sorry. I know, I'm just saying. Yeah, I was saying, so, yeah, we, they were saying that we should invest in, 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 in Rhodesia, which we, which we did. And we invested in, um, in, in South Africa too. But, you know, right. it was, I, I'm, you know, they were put, bringing this up, obviously, to, to demonstrate that, um, that there is a a, a very uh, long history of right wing conservative politics that has supported um, these regimes in the past, and so you know to act like these things are somehow divorced, um, you know, from politics is is not correct. So that's why I was bringing it up. But go ahead. Oh sorry. yeah. No 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 no. You're you're right. You know, we do need to pay attention to that and and see, you know, where our interests are, where we have money invested. And 
just pay attention, people, and that's number seven, connect to the Black Lives Matter movement, especially white allies that are trying to get a better understanding. You can connect. You know, they have um, conference calls for white allies to give them direction and, and, and encourage them to be a part of. And so, you know, it talks about, you know, that this tragedy is part of a larger system that devalues black lives. And it says, pay attention, have compassion, speak up. And this is something that we've been saying, you know, for generations, hell. You know, they were saying this was before I was born, that, you know, that that our allies, you know, you're going to have to say something. You're going to have to step up, period. You know, because black people alone aren't going to be able to take this system down. You know, it's going to take white people, period. And so, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that we can talk about. We can talk about how white America avoids taking responsibility. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about self-defense, you know, the right to bear arms. And, you know, what's interesting is if you go back and you look through history, and the component that I'm talking about now is the Black Panthers, the Black Power Movement. They were definitely um, for, you know, bearing arms. You know, they believed in, you know, know, self-defense. And we're not really given a choice at this point. You need to learn how to defend yourself whether it's with a gun, a crossbow, you know, um, uh, martial arts, you know, you know, street fighting or something of that nature. You need to learn how to do it. It may save your life one day. And we can't just, you know, especially our children, we can't send our children out there to be sitting ducks. You know, and what's interesting is, like I said, you have these people, and, you know, even with the young man that went into that school and killed all of those children and teachers, you know, they tried to attribute that to mental illness, too. So when white people create a, you know, commit a crime, then it's a mental illness. They must have been off-center. And one of the excuses I hear about the domestic violence, you know, uh, I'm sorry, domestic terrorist assassin in, you know, Charleston, they were saying, well, when they were saying, is he really white, maybe he's transracial, and the fact that he sat in that church for an hour, well, he sat there for an hour, so he can't really be white, really? So, you know, are you saying that white people won't sit in a black church service for more than an hour? I, I don't know how to take any of this shit. You know, because I'm still trying to process what the hell happened here. It doesn't make sense. And as Raina always tells me, Kim, you're trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not the only one that's trying I mean, to figure out. To me. It makes complete sense to me. It makes sense yeah. to me. Because if, if you believe these things that he said, if you believe that black people are taking over, you believe that, you know, that in this bullshit about white genocide and if you believe in white rule and white supremacy, this is a a, a natural outcome. 
you know, this is a natural conclusion to draw that you should right. pick up a gun and kill black people. You know? Yeah. It's a natural conclusion to draw. It's, you know, it, it, it makes sense to me. It, yeah. it makes sense. It makes complete sense. I don't like, I mean, I obviously I don't endorse it. It's not a view I endorse. But, um, <laughs> obviously. But right. it makes sense to me that if, if someone would believe this kind of, these kinds of things where, you know, passes from, you know, long dead regimes of white rule, you know, on right. her shirt to have a website called the last Rhodesian, you know, right. um, it would uh-huh. make sense to me that they would think that it, it makes sense to logically pick up a gun, walk into a church and, and kill nine people. Now, what doesn't make sense is to say that, you know, they're, that you're raping our women than to proceed mostly black women. You know, exactly. So then that just invalidates your argument. But, exactly. You know, but it right. does make sense, you know, if you believe in white rule to kill black people, period. Exactly. It makes sense. Exactly. It makes sense. And we've been seeing examples of that all across the country. All you know, across the country. It's going on everywhere. Exactly. Right, because they want us to submit to their authority just as being a white, just for being a white person. And, you know, one of the clear examples of that was, you know, the white man that told the black young men to turn their music down, and then he turned around and shot up the car because they didn't respect his authority. Mm-hmm. And you guys, like I said, I'm looking at this. And it was an article that came out on Alternet, and it was titled, 11 Ways White America Avoids Taking Responsibility for Its Racism. And it talked about the pernicious impact of white fragility. And this was written by Dr. Robin D'Angelo. This is a good article. I'm going to post it a little bit later. And, you know, some of the things here is talking about, you know, different rules of engagement. And it says, number one, do not give me feedback on my racism under any circumstances. You know, number two, proper tone is crucial. Feedback must be given calmly. Number three, there must be trust between us. Number four, our relationship must be issue-free. Number five, feedback must be given immediately. Number six, you must give feedback privately. Number seven, you must be as indirect as possible. Number eight, as a white person, I must feel completely safe during any conversation or discussion of race. Number nine, giving me feedback on my racial privilege invalidates the form of oppression that I experience. Number 10, you must focus on my intentions, which cancel out the impact of my behavior. Number 11, to suggest my behavior had a racist impact is to have misunderstood me. And those are 11 ways white America avoids taking responsibility for its racism, according to this article. Uh, Did you want to feedback on any of this, Raina, or can we move on? We can move on. All right. So, you know, because, I mean, I have some notes here, you know, and I haven't been getting to my notes. You know, like I said, this is only part one, you know, because it's like 
it's just looking at it, we haven't even gotten to Rachel and, you know, and her bullshit there. You know, um, you know how her parents pretty much threw her on under the bus to save their son or their attempt to save their son. And the same thing happened with the Duggars as well. You know, they kind of threw their daughters under the bus for their son. But, um, you know, getting back to the subject, I mean, it's so much just in that by itself. But I don't know. You know, John Stewart gave, you know, a talk about Charleston. And his conclusion was, you know, basically that nothing is going to happen. You know, no changes are going to be put in place. We're not going to do a damn thing as a nation. And what's interesting is if this situation was happening anywhere outside of the United States, this country would be up in arms telling them, you know, that's wrong, fight back. But when it's happening in this nation, they're shutting down access to the Internet. Well, it depends on what side we are on. It depends on what side exactly. we are on. Exactly, exactly. You know, but, you know, good example was in Ferguson when the people were out there protesting and there was some violence that, you know, was not started by, you know, black people down there. And and they shut down all access to the Internet for those people. They shut down their cell phone service. They shut down, you know, the landline telephone. They shut it down in an effort to keep out the press, in an effort to keep the people from reporting what was happening there. And trust me, they can do that across this nation. You all need to understand that. You need to pay attention to that. And, you know, I've talked about how they're able to intercept your cell phone signal, basically intercept your text messages and your calls and your voicemails and listen to them as you're having a live conversation. Listen to your voicemail before you get a chance to, and you won't even know that they had access to it. And this is what they were using to try to, you know, stop a lot of the protesters, which is why a lot of them had burnouts. And so, you know, that's how they were able to, um, you know, go from one part of the city you know, the police officers in New York were extremely, you know, um, disheartened and frustrated because by the time they got to one area looking for the protesters, they were all the way across town somewhere by then. And, you know, the protest is going to be more protests in this country, you know, is already ramping up. And, you know, because I know yesterday they had rallies here in Chicago um, they're having some more today, and it's going to continue. And this is what we're saying to our allies, whether you're a white ally, Latino ally, Asian ally, you know, indigenous ally, whoever. We need you to come out here and protest with us. Unfortunately, there are some people in this country, the only way they're going to get out there and protest is when the price of a Big Mac is $20 and they can't afford to buy one anymore. I I don't know what else to say because, you know, if you're waiting for it to impact you, it is impacting you now. You know, whether it's directly or indirectly, it is impacting you. 
um, there was an article here that was talking about a code of ethics for anti-racist white allies. Again, a code of ethics for anti-racist white allies. And it says, number one, acknowledge our racial privilege. Number two, develop interpersonal connections and structures to help maintain anti-racist accountability. Again, develop interpersonal connections and structures to help maintain anti-racist accountability. Number three, be prepared to alter our methods and practices when and if people of color give feedback or offer criticism about our current methods and practices. And that was a big issue with the Black Lives Matter because a lot of the white allies, you know, they were at the protest when when the protests, um, coordinators pushing the white people to the back, there are a lot of white allies and white people getting upset because they, the black organizers would not allow them to speak to the press. You're, you, um, how can you speak about the pain? Go ahead, Raina. I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt your point. I just wanted to let you know that um, thank you for having me, but I have to go. I, I stayed way okay. longer than I intended to do. And um, okay. I do have to go see my grandfather at some point today. So, um, right, right, anyway. right. No, I'm just, take care. You okay? You too. You take it easy. All right, bye. And all right, bye bye. So you know, number three, be prepared to alter our methods and practices when and if people of color give feedback or offer criticism about our current methods and practices. Number four listening to constructive feedback from other white people, too. Again, listening to constructive feedback from other white people, too. Number five, if we speak out about white privilege, racism, and or white supremacy, whether in a public forum or in private discussions with friends, family, or colleagues, we should acknowledge that people of color have been talking about these subjects for a long time and yet have been routinely ignored in the process. Again, if we speak out about white privilege, racism, and or white supremacy, whether in a public forum or in private discussions with friends, family, or colleagues, we should acknowledge that people of color have been talking about these subjects for a long time and yet have been routinely ignored in the process. Number six, share access and resources with people of color whenever possible. Again, share access and resources with people of color whenever possible. Number seven, if you get paid to speak out about white privilege, racism, and or white supremacy, or in some capacity make your living from challenging racism, donate a portion of your income to organizations led, by, led principally by people of color. Again, if you get paid to speak out about white privilege, racism, and or white supremacy, or in some capacity make your living from challenging racism, donate a portion of your income to organizations led principally by people of color. Uh, number eight, get involved in a specific people of color-led struggle for racial justice. Again, get involved in a specific people of color-led struggle for racial justice. Number nine, stay connected to white folks, too. Again, stay connected to white folks, too. Number 10, connect anti-racism understanding to current political struggles and provide suggestions or avenues for white people to get involved. 
again, connect anti-racist understanding to political struggles, to current political struggles, and provide suggestions or avenues for white people to get involved. And so those are just some of the principles that they put forth as far as a code of ethics for um, white allies. And so it's just important, and I'll post this on my wall a little bit later, and it's just so much to talk about. It's so much that we need to go over. Like I said, you know, this is part one, and we have much, much more. I haven't even gotten to my notes yet. And, you know, it's a lot to talk about. It really is, you know. Um, but the main point is black people cannot end racism. White people have to do it. They got to do it. And, it's you know, it's not particularly high on their list of priorities. And we have to challenge that. We have to challenge it. They are going to have to make it one of the, you know, top priorities. They're going to have to. You know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, a lot of people are pointing the finger at conservatives um, in regards to the response of the oppression of blacks in this country. But the thing is, is that we got to look at the white liberals, too, because there are some white liberals that totally switch their tone when there are no people of color in the room. You know, people talk about um, black people code switching. You know, white people do the same thing. And so we got to pay attention to that. You know, it's not an anomaly. You know, and... You know, what happened with the domestic terrorist assassin, you know, you have people trying to say that it's an anomaly, that he was a lone wolf and all of that, you know, crap. And basically, you know, what he did, you know, was a manifestation of the conservative ideology and white self-victimization that is practiced and being put forth in this country. It's just a manifestation of it, and this is only the beginning. It's, it looks like it's going to get worse, and this is why we're encouraging people, you know, you better gird yourself up. You know, learn this history. History is a weapon. Um, learn how to defend yourself personally, physically. It's going to be important that you know how to do that because it's going to come in handy one day real soon. And so, you know, I think it's telling that, you know, the FBI director, again, you know, is insisting that an attack on black citizens in this country, you know, he's trying to insist that it's not political and that this is not an issue of domestic terrorism. You all need to pay attention. You know, the white domestic terrorist assassin clearly stated that he did this to start a race war. If he's telling you it's racist and it was racially based, how are you arguing with that? I don't understand. And so, you know, um, it's, it's just it's amazing. And I know I brought up Hillary Clinton earlier, and she made a statement, and I'll read, well, this is only an excerpt of part of the statement. And she said, after the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and so much else, how can any of these things be true? But they are real. And our problem is not all kooks and Klansmen. It's also the local, it's also the cruel joke that goes unchallenged. 
again, after the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and so much else, how can any of these things be true? But they are. And our problem is not all coops and Klansmen. It's also the cruel joke that goes unchallenged. And so that's, you know, one of the things that we're talking about. You're going to have to challenge these people. And you have to challenge it immediately when it's done. And whether it's in a public setting or in a private setting, you know, it, it would be better if you challenged it immediately in front of the same crowd in which they made that statement. And because, like I said, your silence is killing us. And whether you believe it or not, it's going to have an impact on you. And so, you know, go out and you can go and look up, you know, what she had to say, but, you know, she was criticizing the mentality of other, you know, national leaders in this country and how they've sought to downplay the vicious racism, you know, again, that's pernicious in this country. And it's being fueled by, you know, terrorist attacks and 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 basically, you know, you know, she's telling Americans, you can't hide from this. You can't run. You can't be willfully ignorant. You cannot bury your head. There is nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. It's in your face. And we have to do something about it now. So, you know, these are some hard truths about race, you know, and justice in this country. But we're going to have to face them. We're going to have to face them. And so, you know, so much more that I want to talk about because, it's, it's so much, you know, and I have a lot of notes here about, you know, what I want to talk about. So, yeah, this is part one. We're going to do part two next Sunday at 10 a.m. And, you know, I haven't, haven't even started talking about the Confederate flag, you know, and South Carolina, you know, still flying the Confederate flag, saying it's a part of their history, and, you know, white explaining why they don't want to take it down. And for those of you who aren't, you know, um, keeping up or, you know, haven't heard this, a sniper shot the flag down in South Carolina. They actually shot the flag down um, when they were mourning or mourning the people who lost their lives. You know, they didn't even fly the Confederate flag at half-staff, not that we wanted them to. But somebody, you know, they shot it down. And so, um, <laughs> you know, we, we need to look at this stuff because, you know, I'm just looking at, you know, earlier we were talking about the U.S. being over in Dominican Republic and how we play a role all over the world, you know, trying to protect everyone from foreign threats, you know, but their attitude to domestic terrorism in regards to black folks and black bodies is, you know, uh, what are you going to do about it? A real lackadaisical cavalier type of attitude. And we as people of color, we're going to have to stand up and we're going to have to make sure that they know that that is unacceptable. Because, you know, when, you know, you have white people, huh, that are the victims of some type of mass murder. I mean, you know, look at the coverage. Look at what's happened. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Just the racism is in your face. And, you know, for some of our white allies out there, you know, one of the things that you're going to have to assume 
is that racism is everywhere because there was a poll that they released and it was talking about how um, white people only believe that 50% of other, you know, basically only 50% of white people feel that there is racism, you know, and that this was, you know, that these acts are acts of racism, only 50%. And I, I believe that it's more than that, you know, and we have to start confronting these things. We can't bury our heads anymore. I mean, it's right there at your doorstop. You know, and what hurt me the most about this Charleston massacre is that that five-year-old baby had to play dead. How does she know how to play dead? How does she know that that was the thing to do? See, the conversations that we have with our children are a lot different than the conversations that white people have with their children. That baby had to play dead. That You know, when I read that part, I just cried. I just cried in an effort to save herself from, you know, a domestic terrorist assassin. She had to play dead. Why? Why does she know that that's what she had to do to survive? You know, and wow. It's just, it's unreal. And this whole thing is just, you know, you know, I get tingles just looking at, you know, what is happening? What are we going to do? What are you going to do, white allies? You know, so anyway, there's so much more um, to talk about, so much more to go over. And, you know, it's very complex. And it's like peeling an onion, one layer at a time, you know. And unfortunately, you have some people, some blacks, you know, older, younger, some, that are afraid to speak up and that are afraid to, you know, stand up for themselves and confront this. And they're scared. I understand that fear. Trust me, I do. But your silence is not going to save you. Your white friends aren't going to save you. And we're going to have to stop sugarcoating this shit. We can't. We can't afford to anymore. And this is why I have such admiration for the millennials and these young people out here that are marching. Such admiration. I never thought that I would see this in my lifetime. And that's why I support these babies any way that I can. You know, physically, I can't go out there. You know, I'm disabled. I just can't, you know, for a number of different reasons. You know, um, the sun being an enemy is one thing. Um, But I support them, and that's the reason why I'm telling them don't listen to Al Sharpton or that Inyala Van Zandt and Jesse Jackson, all of them that are telling them to go home and to pray about it and scolding them for demanding their equal rights, demanding their right to protest, demanding their right to be heard. Because you saw when he had that, you know, March on Washington led by Al Sharpton, you know, these young people hopped the stage and demanded the microphone and spoke. They had been promised the opportunity to speak and to march on the front line, but they were pushed to the back. 
and they were not put on the speaker's list. So they went and they took the microphone, and that is what we're going to have to do. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, something very humorous, you know, while it's humorous, it's also sad, but there's this woman, and she, she was holding up a sign called Angry Black Woman, you know, during Fox, um, you know, um, while the Fox reporters were, you know, talking about the situation. And she also called Don Lemon and Uncle Tom, you know, because Don Lemon and another correspondent for CNN, they were having a conversation, and she was in the background interrupting them. And then there was an impromptu interview that she had with Don Lemon. I'm sorry. I call him Don Johnson. Sorry about that. I meant Don Lemon. And basically, you know, she, she, you know, he was like, why are you angry? Her response to him, why aren't you angry? And so, you know, go back, go take a look at that. It's actually quite humorous, but, you know, it's also not funny because those are very serious, you know, issues. You know, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how anybody that's of color in this country, how are you not angry about what has happened? And so, you know, again, we're going to have to go out here and we're going to have to just to disagree, even amongst each other and disagree with other folks because, I mean, you know, what's happening out here, we're, we're suffering. And like I said, I put that article up about victim fatigue and how black people are suffering from it. Because we've been going through this forever. I mean, seriously, you know, from the first slave that was brought to this country till now, it's always something or the other. And we do not, we haven't been afforded the opportunity to really rest and, again, to decompress to process what's happening to us because there's always something right behind each other. And we're getting tired. And that's not necessarily the position that you want us in. And so, you know, is you know, and, and you got these people out here that are saying that they're praying. I understand. If, if that's the only thing you know how to do, this is what you've been taught, this is how you were raised, fine. If that's your contribution, fine. But for the rest of us, you're going to have to get up off your knees. And those of us that are non-believers, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing? We need to be out here with these people, protesting, marching. If you can't physically be out there, if you can, send them some donations. I need, I know up in Baltimore, um, they had people, you know, they created, you know, um, soup kitchens, if you will, and they were making meals and sending meals out to the protesters. You had people out there making lunches and sending them out to the protesters. And that's just not happening in Baltimore. That's happening all over the country. You know, there were some restaurants here in Chicago during the Civil Rights Movement, and these were black restaurants, and they put together meals and food to support, you know, the civil rights activists. You can do something. You have to do something. Um, let's pick up 763. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Uh, great show. Great show. Hitting them on all kinds of levels and all kinds of points. It's very thought-provoking. And how do you say this? Religion 
is an ideology. People matter. Black lives really do matter. And as you're saying it, we should take into account the people, the lives, the lies, the things that have transpired over centuries. Centuries. We haven't had a time to catch our breath. We need that time to get ourselves together and get going. Fired up. Right. Fired up. Ready to go, you know, and it's important. And, you know, it's just interesting, and, you know, I'm going to, you know, wind things down. But, you know, we're always talking about, you know, how black people, you know, how we give love and how we're giving love out to people. You know, and it's it's interesting because then nobody has anything to say when it comes to us receiving love. You know, and so my thing is is that, you know, what are we going to do? Are you ready to start, you know, engaging, you know, white racist pathology and diminishing white racist pathology? And when I say engaging it, what I'm talking about is deconstructing and destroying it, you know, and we have to talk about, you know, the white racist pathology. And I know that we have some people out there and we do, you know, take issue with how some people talk about, you know, so-called black pathology, you know, and we're going to have to deal with all of these issues. And, you know, as far as this battle you know, because I always hear all of these references, you know, about being in the trenches and the battle and the war. Well, in this case, it's been one-sided. And, and we're suffering. And we're tired. And I don't know where we're going. I don't know how we're going to get there. All I say is that white people are going to make ending racism their top priority. They're going to have to because we're not going to go anywhere. This is not going to get any better. We were never meant to survive. And, again, last week I touched on how inner cities, urban areas, how they're like a reservation. And I talked about the white suburban enclaves that surround the inner city. That was done on purpose. And the militarization of police, Ferguson was a great example. I mean, it's happened in many places. But look at what they did. They came in with tanks. You know, they came in with tear gas. And for the most part, we're surrounded. And that's what I was talking about earlier. There is nowhere to run. It's no fight or flight. It's just fight. And we're not being given a choice. So I strongly advise you to go out here and do some research. And like I said, we're going to have to abolish that mental health trope or that lone wolf trope that's out there and start holding these white men accountable, white men and women, but particularly in the case of these mass murders, it's been white men. And we're going to have to start holding them accountable. Period. You know, and they're, for the most part, they are always given the benefit of the doubt. Whereas a person of color, we're not given that luxury. So, it's so much to happen. Um, 
And, you know, while it's a tragedy, I understand why some people don't want to call it a tragedy. They want to call it terrorism. And that's what has been happening. The black community has been terrorized from day one. I mean, you had some poor whites that were attacking the plantations because the slaves were working for free, and they their families were starving because they couldn't find a job. And this is what I'm talking about when I talk about that this is, you know, tied to politics. It's tied to the yeah. economy. You all pay attention. But that's what this is. And we've been terrorized from day one. Yes. So, I mean, oh, we've been traumatized, we've been terrorized, we've been, you know, denied. Victimized and vilified. Huh? Victimized and vilified. Yeah, every time they get a chance to do it. And there is a lot of, you know, um, domestic terrorism that happens in this country. Unfortunately, you know, with the media, there are times when they are told to not run a story. And this is why I'm encouraging you all to read magazines, um, newspapers, periodicals, what have you, from in blogs from people in other countries, because then you can really find out the lowdown on some of this. But, um, yeah, we're going to have to do something. It's time to get out here, start marching, but also start putting together a platform, an agenda, and demanding. That is one of the problems with, you know, the black community. We don't really have anyone out here advocating for us. We don't have lobbyists. We don't have, you know, political action committees that, that you know, um, go to these different bodies of Congress whether it's state or federal. We don't have people out there. You know, unfortunately, you have people that run for these offices, and they run under the auspices of, you know, bringing change. Remember, hope and change? And once they get into the system and they realize that they can financially benefit, and in some cases, you know, they're not going to be able to change anything, they just they then become a cog, a cog in the wheel. And we got to pay attention. And as far as this domestic terrorist assassin, he didn't work alone. He was not a lone wolf. This was organized. Mm. He started planning this six months in advance. So this was premeditated. And, like I said, we're going to have to destroy those tropes of, you know, someone being mentally ill or a lone wolf. That has to go because he was instructed. And he was going to Shelby for a purpose, for a reason. And he was three hours away. So the question is, who sent him? Who sent him to shoot up that church? And also, who's taking those damn pictures? We know he ain't working alone. So who's taking his pictures, all those pictures of him, and, you know, all of the different patches from these, you know, domestic terrorists or white terrorist groups? And they're not only in this country like, you know, Raina was talking about, you know, you know, Rhodesia and other, you know, um, African, you know, white supremacist groups. He had all of these patches. He wasn't working alone. We need to know who else was involved and how many others were involved. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, they have networks all throughout that area. They were getting ready to hide him. And I personally think they were getting ready to send him back to Africa or send him over there to, you know, make sure he got lost. 
And we need mm-hmm. to pay attention. This is the thing. The Klan, they have their network set up. Like I said, you know, it was known that they were infiltrating police departments. It was known that they were infiltrating the military. And then when they would get out, they would train the others. They have a network. They have police officers, judges, lawyers, you know, all of this as members. Yeah, that's called the good old boy network. Exactly. The good old boy network has been in place for a long time. People talk about imperialism and colonialism. All of those are connected, intertwining. They're all in the same. They're really really there. Yeah, the judge that was prevailing over this case, you know, they they took him off the case because he had said the N-word. And I think he said there are four types of people in this world. He said, I think he said, black people, white people, rednecks, and niggers. So mm-hmm. they took him of that case. So, um, yeah, you know, guys, pay attention to, you know, what's happening and like I said, for some of the people in this community to have absolutely, absolutely no sympathy for these victims, fuck you. You know, seriously, there's nothing else that I can say. And, you know, you know, I just... You can say, why aren't you mad? Why aren't we mad? It's right. not about extracting revenge. It's about building a structure for equality, I don't want to use some of the, the the foul language that's necessary or needed to express that, but I think that it, the time has come, and it is not going to change. It's not going to get any better. The players change. The times change. Oh, we could wait out 40 more years, or we could wait out 50 more years. This has been ongoing since the first ship, since the first queen decided that, yeah, we got to have this. We got to do this. Right, exactly. And see, and this is the thing, and we're going to close it out because I want to talk to the believers that listen to my show. And, you know, I've seen them, you know, saying that they're praying and they're putting it back in God's hands and, you know, they're waiting for God or the Holy Spirit to give them instruction and and to, you know, equip them. But see, this is the thing. Think about this. Maybe you've already been equipped. Maybe you've already been equipped to go out here and to fight and to protest. You've already been equipped. And I understand fear. Trust me, I understand fear. I have, you know, there are things that I'm afraid of. But, you know, being afraid and being silent, that's not going to save me. That's not going to help me. So I just want you all to think about that. You know, some of my believing um, audience there, You've already been equipped. You're praying for him to give you direction and and to equip you. It's already there. Like I said, if all you can do is put together some, you pack a few lunches or, you know, you and some other of your prayer warriors or members of the congregation or members in the community, your neighbors, if all you all, if the only thing you all can do is, you know, put $5 in and if you can get, like, you know, several other people, some can give 10, some can give 20, some can get 100, you know, you go out there, go to Costco, buy some stuff, put together some lunches. And, you know, 
you know, it's, it doesn't cost a lot for cold cuts and bread. Well, the way the price the price of food is going up, that's another story. You all need to pay attention to that too. But um, mm-hmm. for something that you can do, there is a role that you can play. No role is too small. And even if only if you only have a dollar, put that in. It adds up. It really does. So again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And I thank Raina for calling in, and I thank Mingo for calling in. I appreciate it. And for those that are listening to the show, thank you for listening in. Thank you for listening to the archives. And one more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And do some reading, do some research, help somebody. Help somebody. If somebody has helped you, you help somebody. That is our job. That is our role. Am I my brother's keeper? Hell yeah, I am. So anyway, guys, you all enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Next Sunday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, Part 2. All right, y'all, take it easy. Good day. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 